Welcome to Game Face, episode 256, and we have a very special guest on today's show. Who could it be behind that helmet? (laughs) This is Commander Shepard. This is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. (laughs) Matt got himself an awesome Mass Effect helmet that actually you can wear. Uh, I told Matt if I had a motorcycle, I would wear that sucker all over Los Angeles riding around. Matt, how did you get that? Oh, this is the the legendary or the the collector's edition you could order from Bioware's site. So how, um, how much was I it? I wouldn't wear it as a motorcycle helmet. It's about as thin plastic as most of my transformers. It's uh, not going to protect you. So it's not rated by the uh, Department oh, of Transportation. No, it's, it's, a, it's a plastic piece of junk, but it's fun. <laughs> well, it looks freaking awesome. <laughs> that is a piece of work, dude. Uh, just so you know, Matt's, uh, Matt will sound better once he gets the helmet off. He'll sound a lot lot more loud. But uh, he wanted to, oh, and it has different colored there's, lights. There's Renegade. Yeah. <laughs> that is sweet, dude. Awesome. Does it just have those two color settings? Yeah. I'm just glad it fits on my giant head. <laughs> Normally these, like, wearable helmet things do not fit over my huge skull. I have the opposite problem. I have a really small head. And so, like, when I buy, like, fitted baseball caps or whatever, I have to get like the smallest or the second to smallest size for adults. <laughs> so that thing on me, you'd probably be able to like hit it and it would just like spin around my head is my guess. Oh, you get you can adjust there's like a there's like a a head binder thing inside it that you can like make bigger or smaller. Uh it's at the absolute largest size on my on mine. Um and just barely fits. So you could probably it, it goes real small. It, goes, it clearly like it's meant so like kids can wear it. Um, if they want to, so it's pretty. I bet, I bet you could get it, get it to work. It's pretty awesome. And I'll give you one guess what we're talking about today on Game Face. Mm. <laughs> we're gonna definitely talk about Mass Effect Legendary Edition, at least as much as we can, because it's just a gigantic package. Um, there was no way Matt and I, between the two of us, could play through all three of those games in time to talk about it on Game Face. There's also a reason why. There are no reviews for the collection yet online because mm-hmm. uh, everybody's just like, man, these games are huge. How am I going to get through it? I don't know if like outlets have split them up between team members, but that's what we did for the purposes of our discussion here on Game Face. Matt and I split the games up, but we'll get to that. Uh, welcome to Game Face. This is the flagship show of Sifted Games at Sifted.net. We are here every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. The show is usually a couple hours long, closer to three hours long. Uh, So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'd like to check out the show live sometime, you can stop by in any of those three-hour windows if you want to check us out. We're going to be here. We also stack the show in such a way that we have interesting topics throughout the entire three hours, so you're not going to show up late and you're going to get, like, the worst topics of the week or whatever. Um, If you're listening to the show on any of the podcast services out there, and Game Face is free on all of them, albeit four, four days delayed, uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, maybe missing one. Uh, but we're out there on all of them. And if you can't afford to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sifted, uh, you can watch it for free on those channels. Or you can help us out with Twitch Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, you just link your Twitch and Amazon accounts, and then you subscribe to our channel. You can give us a free $2.50 every single month. Matt, how has your week been other than getting your awesome helmet? It's pretty good. I mean, any week Mass Effect comes out is not a bad week. 
Um, I did. Uh, I had two social events uh, on the weekend. Um, went to a barbecue wow. and, and uh, <laughs> went to uh, went to Universal Studios. So how was that going to Universal? Fun. Like you know, I saw the new. They added stuff to Jurassic World, and they have that was cool. They should have added a bunch of stuff. They had a whole year to improve the park. Well, they had a large period of time where no one could be there, so uh, that was part of the problem. But they did add some new animatronics to the to Jurassic World. Now, um, at the end, at the end, it used to be the Indominus Rex was sort of over there, rolling, roaring at you, and then like when you went down the 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 drop, the T Rex was sort of hovering over you. Yep. And now the T Rex comes out of the dark and attacks the Indominus Rex, and it's actually it's actually awesome. Huh. Like, I'm not a huge fan of like drop rides or like water rides. Um, but, and so I was on it mostly to be like, Oh, I'll just see, I want to see the new thing. So I'll see the new thing. And then I'll go on that again to see that again. Wow. Like that was, it was really cool. So universal for me is the one theme park in Los Angeles. I only go to when I have guests in town and mm-hmm. they come frequently enough and all of them want to go there if it's their first time in LA. So they come frequently enough that I get to go every couple years or so. So I get kind of a snapshot of the things that they've changed or haven't changed. Now, Six Flags, Disneyland, I'll just go there because I want to go myself. But mm-hmm. Universal, once you've gone there once, they don't add enough to the park to kind of keep going back, at least in my opinion anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a nice hangout park. It's like, you it know, because it's close and it's easy to get to. And if you get like the, the annual pass, which is not certainly not Disneyland expensive, it's just like a nice place to go when they have, you know, they have different. They have like some food, like good food stuff that rotates around depending on the time of year. Well, it's also got um, like a shopping mall, like yeah, as you got walk the city into walk it. Attached to it. Yeah, so it's called City Walk, and it's basically an outdoor shopping mall that you walk a couple blocks through before you actually go into the park. So there are things to do there if you just want to hang out and not even spend that much time in the park. But if you if it's yeah. your first time here, I definitely recommend going. It does kind of show you a little bit of what it's like. Behind the scenes in Hollywood and like movie and TV production, though, if you really work in those fields, it's definitely sort of the crib notes version of it. Uh, but it does give you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. There yeah. are like real sets they, there, and they do have. Uh, I got. I saw. You know, I saw the under construction uh, Super Nintendo Land. Oh really? Um, so they they're they're building that right now. Um, when you come down there, you know, you know, it's like two levels. There's like the upper park and the lower park. You yep. get on the giant escalator. To get yeah, the, escalator so you're, that's like two miles long. It's <laughs> huge. Yeah. We were actually joking because on the way back up, we're like, who takes the stairs? Who, who would? You die before like, you got to the top. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, but coming down, you can see like all the, you know, the, they've got like, like the Mario style hills surrounding it already. And uh-huh. like the middle is just all scaffolding. But they're working on it. Yeah, it's I mean, coming. and that park's open already in Japan. Yeah, it's open in Japan. And you can um, find, there's videos of it on Sifted. They're all over YouTube. You can go and check yeah, it out. Yeah, it looks really cool. I'm just, I'm a little disappointed that it's just Mario. I'm like, actually disappointed that there aren't any real rides, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, I thought uh, they the might The Mario Kart build. one is apparently kind of legit, but the others yeah. are not really. Like, any, I really I mean, they're, they... they're adding stuff, I think, as they go, but. The problem here is there's no room to expand. They've been trying to buy that golf course next to it for years to expand out the studio facilities in the park, but they just haven't had any luck. So right now they're basically out of room. Um, So it does look like the Nintendo Land is like a little smaller than the one in Japan, but we'll see. I really hope Um, that they'd build some really awesome roller coaster. Well, I, I hope they expand beyond Mario. I'd like to see some Zelda. Even yeah. if it's just in Japan, I'd like to see some Zelda stuff. I'd like to yep. see like you know how do you not do a Metroid coaster? I mean. She she turns into a ball. It makes itself. And rolls yeah. down stuff. Like it's. Like, I mean, part of Metroid is a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster, yeah. right? 
So you're right. Mm-hmm. Like they should bring in more properties. But I mean, I think maybe that's the idea. Is you start out with Mario, which is the hook, the bait, mm-hmm. and you get people in the door, and then you start exploring some of the other IP and the other properties from Nintendo. And you're yeah. right. I mean, all of them are ripe for amusement park uh, attractions. So, but yeah, I most hope of the at stuff least they sell like little stuffed like, Pikmin. What'd you say? I hope at least they sell like little stuffed Pikmin. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, but if you look at the park in Japan, which is running and operational right now, a lot of it is just like augmented reality stuff where you kind of stand in mm-hmm. place and or walk through type things. Um, it's really cool. Like the attention to detail they put into it and the care they put into it is really awesome. Um, but I would like to see some big boy rides uh, get up in those things a little bit more than we've seen so far. But it's mm-hmm. just getting started. That could eventually come. So definitely cool. If you're ever in Japan, one of many, many things that you should definitely check out. Uh, let's see, for housekeeping, uh, this week's episode of Three Night Weekend, we have a very special guest. We are bringing on Hip Hop Gamer. Um, now, at first, you may hear that and be like, mm. what? That seems crazy when you think about the other guests that have been on the show. First of all, he's a great guy, and I love him to death. Yeah, uh, he's a really good dude. He like, is. I've, I've, I've only met him, like, three or four times at, like, mostly Packers party, actually. But um, every time I've talked to him, it's it, it's just he's a really smart, really, really cool guy, yep. like, I really enjoy talking to him. He, every time. He's one of those guys that at events, like he and I hang out. Um, mm-hmm. Just like, I after know, like, people see him, and they're like, "Oh, just... he's like a he's like a weird like influencer, and he's got like a you know, got the championship belt, all this." It's like, no, he's super down to earth. Really, really knows stuff, and really is fun to talk to. I'm like, going to talk ju- to him. Don't about... judge him by the persona. It like, might be one of guy. the most interesting episodes we've done because let's be honest, Matt. There aren't a lot of minorities in games journalism, yeah. and he's been doing it for a long time. So I've I'm sure he's seen and heard some stuff that should bring some interesting conversations. Uh, yeah, he's got he's got stories. Absolutely. Stories for days. Yeah, for sure. So I'm really excited for him to be on the show. I think it'll be one of the deeper episodes of Three Night Weekend that we've done uh, as far as some serious topics to discuss and things like that. And plus, he's just great and funny and fun. I'm really excited about that. That'll be up for our patrons on Friday. And that'll be up on our YouTube channel on Monday. Speaking of which, if you can't afford to support us and you want to know when the stuff is going up for free on our YouTube channel, make sure you follow the site at Sifted Games on Twitter. If you want to hit me up, you can find me at Dinfire. And feel free to recommend folks that you would like to see on Three Night Weekend, and I'll try to go out and get them. And then if you want to find Matt on Twitter, you can find him at mkyle. And with that... Let's get on with episode 256 of Game Phase. We're going to kick things off. We're not burying the lead this week, just like last week. We're going to kick things off with Mass Effect Legendary Edition. It is a three-game compilation. includes the first three Mass Effect games, but it goes beyond that. It is a 4K remaster, but it goes beyond that. They have gone in and actually changed significant parts of the game in a number of ways. Matt was assigned Mass Effect 1. Um, I was assigned Mass Effect 2, and we're probably not going to talk about Mass Effect 3 mm-hmm. much today. Maybe next week we'll get back to Mass Effect 3, but there's only so much time between the two of us to play games. Um, let's kick it off with you, Matt, because I feel like the first Mass Effect probably is the game that has undergone the most significant changes. Yeah. Would, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's practically a different game now okay. um, in terms of how it plays. Um I mean, it's the same game. The, the story's the same. The dialogue's the same. The animations are roughly the same. Um, but they have rebuilt the thing from the ground up uh, in terms of, like, a lot of the visuals uh, and almost all the gameplay mechanics. Like, 
There's still, you know, you've still it got the inventory. It needed it, by the way. It needed oh, yeah, the mechanics update big time. But you, you still have the inventory, you know, with you get thousands and thousands of armor. At one point, by the way, I had all I'd found in 10 hours of play was just endless Phoenix armor. Really? Which is my least favorite visual armor. It's like the pink and white armor. Why do you think that and is? I don't know. Just just the random number god was mad wow. at me that day. <laughs> it took crazy. me forever to get new armor. And then I got I, my other friends that are playing it. They're like, oh, yeah, I had better armor bike in the first day by the end of Eden Prime. It's <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, they just won't, wow. won't give me any damn armor. Um, but, like, so the gun the gunplay and stuff plays, like, two and three now. It's not like um you know it's it's it feels chunkier and better and um how like did they rework the gunplay that's i think the big question on everyone's mind well they just made it like two and three it's it's no longer kind of that um it's 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 less uh i don't know i don't know how to describe it like the first game had that sort of pulled back like we jury rigged something in unreal engine feeling yep. and uh the the new the new version feels like it it has that sort of like like that chunkier feel that two and three had where it felt like they made a shooter instead of grafting shooting onto like dragon age yeah you know? I, I felt completely detached from the combat in mass effect one yeah in fact it was what turned me off to the game i never finished the first mass effect because of that yeah i have finished it five times and this, <laughs> is a this is a very different uh feel and it's a better feel like it's it is more in line. It's in line with the other two now. Like you can play all three of these games in this collection and feel like you are playing three games from the same series, and that wasn't fully true gameplay wise before. By the way, people, um, before we go any further, I should just let you know that there is probably no better person in the industry to be covering this game right now. Matt has <laughs> literally played the Mass Effect trilogy, as he just said, like five times. He knows yeah, these I've, games inside and out. He is going to notice every difference, every tweak, every change. And before uh, before this, I mean, I, I've counted up my saves before. I, I played uh, the original trilogy on 360 uh, for 700 hours total. Wow. Um, oh, my gosh. That's three full playthroughs, yeah. like one through the, And then I have two extra playthroughs on um, the first game to get the stupid ally achievements that you had to play through the whole game with only one set of allies, like or which, by the way, they changed in this. Um, those achievements now are just f complete five quests with huh. each character, so you can get all of those almost by the time you're off the citadel at the beginning. So th those are no you no longer have to play the game three times to get all the <laughs> achievements. Um, there's tons of little like quality of life things like that now. Um, uh, the I early on, um, I was talking with my friend about how we used to always die randomly early in the game at uh, particular choke points, like on the fight on the on the um, the train in uh, on Eden Prime. Uh, there's places where places like early on, you could just get hit with a critical hit or some damage, and you just fall over dead. That does not happen anymore. Um, Partly because the combat has been tweaked to be less weird that way, and partly because you level up more smoothly now. They changed the, the level up system, so instead of the 60 levels of the original, it's now 30 like the other two. You can change it back to the classic leveling style if you want to have the old 60 level thing, but this way, every time you level up, it's a more substantial point investment, so you can basically get your character a little more powerful sooner. Uh, so that helps. Um, so you're not running into kind of the random deaths that made the early part of the game frustrating before. And believe me, I even even that far in, even have the fifth playthrough, I was dealing with that, you know, as you started out. Yep. Um, 
there have been big improvements to the Mako. The you know the the, the that's probably the, everyone's second question. The rover everybody <laughs> hates. How, how never, much better the, really is the Mako? I mean, it's not great. Like the, I never disliked the Mako. I never. I mean, it's fine. Like it does what it does. It's still pretty much impossible to back it up smoothly. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, first off, they changed the uh, sound effects for the guns, and it, they sound way more powerful and chunky now. Like uh-huh. that's great. Um, you no longer get less experience for killing things while you're in the Mako. Like that used to be a thing where, like, if you killed a Thresher Maw in the Mako, you got like a hundred something XP, and if you kill it on foot, you got like sixteen hundred. And it made it silly and, because you'd like yeah. jump out to yeah, like... you just whittle it down to nothing and then <laughs> pop out and shoot it, shoot it a few times. Like, and you just do that for everything. But now you get the same XP in or well, out of good. the vehicle. That's a smart. So it's change. more fun because, like, you know, it's more fun because you can shoot the cannon and make guys go flying and stuff. Yep. And you know, you don't you're not losing XP for that. So that's good. The other cool thing is if you, uh, in the old game, the original game, if you got out of the Mako and the Mako took some hits while you were out of it and got destroyed, if you got back in the Mako, you instantly died. Um, and now if that happens and you get back in the Mako, you do not die. You just have no health on the Mako. Um, so one more shot will kill you, but you can get in and just repair it and you won't instantly die. So they fixed that. Um, there's a bunch of stuff like that where like, you know, it's, you know, things were like the, the, you know, the, the husks don't swarm you and just ex- all blow up at once and insta kill your whole party anymore. Um, so they softened uh, the game a little bit. It is easier. Like I would call it easier, at least on normal difficulty. It's partly easier because the it's easier to shoot stuff accurately. Like, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's easier to play. Like uh-huh. it, it's not, it's not bad. And I, and I did get killed uh, when you go to pick up Liara um, you have to fight like the giant geth mech thing and a mm-hmm. couple new enemies. Yep. Uh, and it can still one shot you if you're not paying attention. Like you, I died a couple times there. I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is like the old one. Like this, this is accurate because I'm being stupid. Um, but like, cause I got a little overconfident cause early, I was, you know, I was getting to the point. Oh, I just run around. Don't even need to cover. I just hit, hit things in the head with my super powered pistol. And that's it. But no, that doesn't last that long. So they haven't nerfed um, everything. They no. just kind of did spot nerfs where it was, where it was really needed. Yeah, and I haven't run into stuff where, like, the original game had things where, like, guys would use barrier and they'd just be invincible for, like, a minute. There's nothing you could do about it. Yeah. Um, that doesn't that doesn't seem to happen anymore. You can cut through that much easier, and they're less uh, they're less weird about kind of beelining towards you and swarming you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, there's, a, there's a couple options with uh, your allies where you can, you know, choose how they use their powers that work a little better than they did before. Um, it's just like quality of life stuff. It's and also like the visuals are amazing. Like the, like it's amazing to be able to look at Saren and see all his cybernetic implants as yeah. what they are, and not like just weird muddy texture that sort of suggests there's something weird on his face. Yeah, they redid um, like all the faces. They redid yeah. most of the costuming to add things with yeah. like bump mapping and texturing. Yeah. And, the, and the aliens, like the like you can tell what the alien's skin would feel yep. like to yeah. touch in this it's game. You can read. Upgrade. You can read letters on people's desks. Yep. Like it's it's a big jump. Uh, they fix a lot of weird little animation things. They fix uh, like how the Turian mouths move. Like they don't clip through themselves anymore. They sort of look more more like armor plates moving, like they're supposed to. Um, there's still like little things, like the Volus's like little like suit beard, like mustache things, like kind of clip through their chests once in a while. Um, there's still like moments where like an animation just sort of resets itself. Like now that I'm a little further in the game, I've seen like some side quest conversations where like the character, instead of smoothly transitioning from like one an- like conversation animation to their neutral state, will just snap back to their neutral state. 
some of that stuff might be fixed like over time, you know, because clearly an NPC giving you a quest and slightly jerking around when they're talking to you is probably not too high on the fixed before we ship list. Yeah. Um, but they they put out like a like a huge like twenty gig patch the day one, so I think they're gonna you know keep keep improving this. But right now, like, um, like I am absolutely thrilled with how Mass Effect One is in in this collection. Like it is exactly what they needed to do to it. They didn't lose what it feels like to what it felt felt like in its own right, but it feels like playing a game that belongs with two and three gameplay wise now, and that is exactly what I was hoping for. Um, like it's worth th this collection to me is worth it just for this improved version of Mass Effect One. Like two and wow. three are are gravy on top. I mean, I, two is my favorite of the three, but like this game is so much better now that it plays this way. I, I'm I'm only like maybe halfway through it. I'm like thirty hours in, um, but like I'm super I'm playing it. Playing this game is like it's like this mix of like oh wow they they did that they fixed that and also like this oh wow i remember this and this is like super great nostalgic and you know i love these games like this yeah. this, this is one of my favorite things ever made like period like gaming or otherwise like any medium like mass effects one of my favorite things of all time in terms of entertainment media and they did this thing justice like big time one thing we should mention is you cannot download the games separately they come as one package. So if you're like, yeah, like I'm, I have it on PlayStation five. So I was hoping I'm like, okay, I only need to play mass effect two for this week. I just want to download mass effect two to save space because right. you know, the PS five hard drive is, is tiny. And as it turns out, you can't, you have to download all three games. Another thing that I should mention. That is not true on Xbox. Oh, really? Uh, on Xbox, uh, at least the way I did it, uh, and I, I have experienced now with both the disc version and the digital version. When I got the digital version, it downloaded only 21 gigs. And wow. I was like, this game's like 80 gigs. What is that? So it only downloaded Mass Effect 1. Interesting. And then I had to choose to install 2 and 3 from the menu. Wow. Yeah, that's not the way it is. And if I want, oh, I can gosh. uninstall those games if I don't want all of them in at one time. Wow. Maybe they'll update that on PlayStation eventually. They should have made sure they did that for PlayStation out of the game. Yeah, I'm surprised that's not like the same <laughs> across yeah. both. That's yeah. weird. Another thing that we should mention that stretches across all three games is that the DLC for the games has actually been integrated into mm -hmm. the games. So if there was a DLC that happened, say, in the middle of Mass Effect 2, Back when Mass Effect 2 came out, you had to wait until, you know, months after the base game was launched to get that DLC. Now not only is the DLC in the game, it's in the game in the point of the game where it happens. So mm -hmm. if something in the DLC happens in the middle of the game, when you're playing this version of Mass Effect 2, you'll actually play that DLC in the middle of the game instead of waiting yeah. until the end of the game. Another and that was how the old the old ones worked. If you play, if you did new games after the DLC was had, in place, yeah. they would do it. Yep. There's only one DLC missing um which was the arena battle oh. dlc which no one remembers because it was completely unmemorable yeah i'm not um, surprised it's like no loss it's <laughs> no loss. and apparently that's because they lost the source code oh crap that's crazy so, but everything else is there it's like 40 okay. plus dlc things okay so i've been playing mass effect 2 and that's the b-roll that you're seeing right now you may wonder how they handle um, the decisions that you made in Mass Effect 1, if you haven't played Mass Effect 1 before you play Mass Effect 2, uh, if you saw the B-roll right at the beginning, there are these little like animated shorts that you sit and watch, and they kind of tell you the situations that happened in the first Mass Effect, and they let you choose right there what decision you would have made. And then those decisions carry into the game that you end up playing, the full Mass Effect 2 in the Legendary Edition. 
Matt, the first thing I will say is I have not played Mass Effect as much as you have. As I said, I did not completely finish the first one. I did get pretty far. I think I played 20 hours of the first one. I also agree with you that Mass Effect 2 is the best Mass Effect because I plowed through it no problem when it came out. And I wasn't reviewing it for game trailers where I was working at the time or anything. I just played it because I enjoyed it and literally burned through it in like a weekend, like a 40-some hour game I played in like three days straight. So it it's is a my great, fa- great game. It's it's, it's so really well written. good. And here's the thing: it's still really good. Yeah. That's the most pleasant surprise so far. Is that like there's a few clunker lines here and there. There's a couple of things that are like, oh, we probably wouldn't do that this way. There's a strange like. I don't think if you made this this series today, you would you would treat the female characters the way they do, um, or even just like how the the various alien races uh, treat their female. Uh, element like like the women yeah. in, in the alien races are kind of like oh that's a little odd um but otherwise in, in terms of world building and lore and character and how all the all the writing comes together like it's really good like i it's got still, sucked 14 into years game. later this thing this game came out 14 years ago you know it was 14 years old when this when mass effect one came out doom i know dude like I know. it's it's they you don't get stuff that holds up like this too often it sucked me in immediately like i'm i'm hopelessly addicted to it already um, now, I will say this. I didn't notice a ton of changes to it. Now, as Matt said, it has been like 14 years. So um, it's hard for me to remember everything about the game. And that was actually a pleasant surprise for me playing this is that I had forgotten just enough of it that it still feels like I'm playing a somewhat fresh new game. Um, I agree with Matt. The visual upgrade is drastic. Um, but I would also say that one thing that they did not upgrade that I feel like they should have is, like, character facial animation and the eyes. The characters mm-hmm. still look dead. The eyes still move in kind of un- an unrealistic way. Um, there's not a lot of emotion in their character faces. Yeah, they, they all still do have the Bioware stare. Yeah, and it's noticeable now. Back when this game came out, it was, like, bleeding edge. But now, mm-hmm. having played so many games since then it does stand out pretty significantly. Yeah, and, like I think it's acceptable as yeah. it is, but it's it's not going to, you're going to notice it for sure. It's about on the level of Horizon Zero Dawn's face. Yeah, I kept thinking about Horizon. <laughs> you're right. Like I kept this like, yeah, it's, it's, you got, they all got Horizon faces. It's yeah. so weird. And you're seeing now there's a new photo mode that has been added to, yeah, the, the photo to all nice. three games and, the, and it's cool. And, and has I, don't, I, as, I don't know if there's any real changes to two. Like you didn't really need to do much to two. Um, I do know they changed in three. They changed uh, if you romance Tali, you used to get a picture of her like without the suit on uh-huh. at the end, and people didn't like that. That it was literally a stock photo of a woman with like the eyes photoshopped. <laughs> it was really, and so there's a now there's a fo- the photo now is actually a an original piece of art of her in the with her like mask but with the face shield taken off. So. It's not just like a random model they pulled off of like a Shutterstock photo and and threw in like like alien eyes on. It's it's they put some effort in there. They also, I don't know if there's any any other differences to the ending of three because I you know a lot of people had had their issues with that. But um, yeah, they, they added they the extended did. ending to Mass Effect Three. Yeah, if only the Star Wars special editions had this kind of attention and restraint and not just random changes for the sake of random changes. Uh, this is how this is how you do a remaster of a decade old game, folks. What really it's it really is good. it is really good. And what really blows me away is not only how it still stands up, more than stands up. It still seems like a game that could have come out, you know, recently. Mm-hmm. But the RPG elements are so much deeper 
than what we're getting now in most action RPGs. It's like, I feel like the genre, I wouldn't say it took a step back, but I think it's kind of nerfed itself over time to appeal to a broader audience. This game was released Mm -hmm. back when RPG fans bought Mass Effect, not just like your casual player who buys three or yeah. four games a year. Although those people did buy this. They did. Yeah, it sold just, very, very they, well. You know, it's just one of those things like, oh, this also ended up appealing to them. Cool kind yeah. of thing. Um, but it was before everything had to be targeted, you know, even with EA, before it had to be targeted to sell 15 million copies or we fire you all at the end of the project kind of thing. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, it's the other thing I think is uh, Mass Effect's world and lore and character work can support that kind of approach yes that's part of the problem is like we don't we just don't see this level of storytelling in an environmental way or a a macro way uh or a character way in most games that aren't from naughty dog and i had forgotten about the dreaded line matt that you hear a lot in this game i'll remember that Mm, or that or like i should go there's a lot of that my favorite exchange so far uh, in that regard is uh talking to tali on the ship the first time and and i talked to her a bunch of bunch of stuff and then you're like there's no way out of the conversation about like corian stuff except to say you want to talk about something else but there's nothing else to talk about after that so i just said said i want to talk about something else she's like sure what do you want to talk about I should go. It's, it's like, <laughs> like Shepard's just a little bit awkward uh, at all yeah. times, and I like that about her too. Yeah, and there are some tweaks to the shooting, and I should mention those since I'm a kind of the gameplay first guy. They have definitely bumped up the auto aim a significant amount, and much that, enough that mm-hmm. I noticed it for sure. And then after I noticed it, I went and kind of dug around, and I found that in fact they had done that. They also yeah, that is also true in one. I mean, probably more so because one was needed more tweaking. But I can like. I can hit a guy that's running full speed across my field of vision by mo- while moving my pistol, which I definitely could not do in the old one. So they are helping me a lot, yep. I think. And it's, it feels good. You know, it's not a bad thing. I'm not criticizing this. It felt good when I got that guy on the run. Yep. Um, but like, it's definitely helping you more. And, and if that's a thing that bothers you, you should be ready to turn that off because it's noticeable. Yep. They also tweak the weapon sway when you're aiming down sights. And also... Mm. Aiming down sights now is way snappier than it used to be. There used to be a little bit of like a delay, like a half a second delay or whatever, when you'd squeeze to go down sights and mm-hmm. it would actually snap to it. It's instantaneous now. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, that actually reminds me, on because I'm playing on the Series X installed on the internal drive. Mm-hmm. The elevator rides you can skip. As soon, as soon as the load is done, you can skip the elevator ride or you can watch the whole thing play out and listen to the dialogue or the announcement or whatever. The load times on this game are maybe one second. Oh yeah, they're like lightning. Like it's it's almost instant. Yep. Like it's it's such a different experience because like you know the others had load time but not that bad. One was like a lot of load time. The elevators and like you know waiting for the ship to go move between planets. It's like a snap of the fingers now. It's so much better. Yep. And it's expected. I know that, you know like obviously that's like bare minimum for something that claims to be Xbox Series X or PS5 enhanced. But like. Just having gone through this game so many times, it's such a difference. Like, it's even better than playing on PC in that regard. And I'm sure the PC version can do the same on an SSD, but, like, that's another nice uh, upgrade. Like, it's just, it's just, it's nice to play a remaster of something that I love that's just been full of nice surprises. Yeah, I mean, they've rebuilt some sections of, like, levels as well to make them more functional and easier to navigate. Yeah. Um, Everything also just feels more real. Like, I don't know what how to describe it, really, but, like, 
just the way the camera is kind of pulled down and, and a little closer than uh, the way it is in Mass Effect 2 and 3, like makes even when you're running through kind of the generic buildings when you find it, explore the planets and find like the generic like Cerberus installations and stuff, even that feels more immersive. It pulls you in a little, pulls me in a little bit more. Makes me feel like I'm going in somewhere real, even though it's just sort of pieced together kind of generic buildings. Like it feels like I'm on the ground. It feels like everything is a little more above me and a little more concrete like plus all the extra textures like you can you can feel what the what the prefab walls would feel like and kind of you know it's it's really well done like it's such a big such a big jump for the first game and then i can't another, wait to play the second one like I'm, i can't wait to see what that looks like too and then another thing i noticed matt is it used to be certain weapons if you were playing a certain class they would get nerfed if they weren't for the right class mm-hmm. but now any weapon you pick up, no matter what class you are, the weapon operates the same. And I yeah. appreciate that, too. That annoyed the crap out of me. Back yeah, then. all it is is, like, you, you get bonuses if you have the skills for it, but Synergy. you can use anything. Like, if you need to whip out that sniper rifle to deal with what's going on, it doesn't matter if you don't have sniper rifle specialization, you can do it. Yep. Like, you'll be able to pull it off. I I've just, done that several times. Yeah, I just feel like they've made... Which is almost impossible in the originals. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I just feel like they they have made all the right changes to this. Yeah. Within absolutely. reason. You know, you can't spend the next four years working on this and completely mm-hmm. redo all the graphics. Like, it just seems like the perfect project. What is this, does this tell you about Bioware, if anything, Matt? Um, I mean, it tells me that they know why their older games are great. Yeah. It's kind um, of encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. I, 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 we, we, we know that I am not a huge Dragon Age fan. Yeah. But I would love to see the first three Dragon Ages get this treatment. Huh. Uh, I would love to see them try to do that. Uh, I don't know how you do that with Dragon Age Origins because if you bring it in line with how the other two play, you're going to piss off a lot of Dragon Age Origins fans because they like that it doesn't play like to an Inquisition. Yep. Um, but I don't know. With four coming up, I feel like I feel like that makes sense to kind of introduce a new generation of people to these games. Um, it's going to work, man. If people pick up these games and play them, they're going to be real hyped for Mass Effect 4. <laughs> yeah. And also, if you're, if you're for some reason someone who has only played Andromeda, um, oh, yeah. And there are people like that. Ass. Like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, re- this, this is a revelation uh, if you've only played that one. Now, Matt, have you had any issues with crashes or bugs? I've had a couple. Nope. Like I had one had... cutscene where the only thing that appeared were like the lights on a helmet, and the, other, the rest of the screen was black, <laughs> which was I really think bizarre. I had that bug in the old, in the original, a couple times. Um, I have not seen any major bugs. The only thing I've seen is um, if I, it, when I'm waiting to leave the ship, like when I land, when you're land on Citadel and you have to go outside through mm-hmm. the airlock. If I walk towards the airlock door before it's ready to open. Uh, Shepard will like float in the air and get caught on it for oh. a second and then get like kind of pushed back away from it. It doesn't end the game or anything, but that that did happen a few times. Yeah, that's the only problem I've had is that cutscene where the character models just basically disappeared. But the PC version sounds like it does have some pretty significant issues. Some yeah, people... PC version was basically just a port of the console. Like they didn't have any like graphics options really. It was, yeah. it was they've updated it. Like the, the the Steam reviews, I think, or the reviews on it have, have uh, user reviews have turned around in the last couple of days. Apparently, you can't um, play it in ultra widescreen. You can only watch the hmm. cutscenes in ultra widescreen. That's weird. Yeah. So I, I, there's, I'm sure there's, there's got to be a way to force that. Yeah. Um, but some people have had issues with that. Just wanted to bring that up um, in case you are a PC player. 
I would still argue that even that would not deter me from yeah. recommending you buy you buy the no collection. i mean it's, it's it's again worth it just for controller support on the first game yeah which um, the pc version does not have in the original yep there's, i think there's like a mod you can download that makes it makes it work more or less uh if i remember that's what i did when i played it on pc but like um now it's just built in and it's great and of course it's an improved version of the game in general yeah i just think overall i'm just shocked at how well these games hold up more than yeah, anything. this this is the best sixty dollar value you're gonna find uh, just about anywhere. They this could year. have sold this for so much more. Yeah, <laughs> they really could have. Like they could honestly, I feel like they could have put out each one of these separately for like forty bucks. Yeah, Nintendo would have. And exactly, <laughs> I don't think anybody would have complained though. Like that's how good of a job that yeah. they've done. After getting my hands on the first one, I would definitely have not complained. Yeah, I would have been like, yeah, I'll get the other two, sure. Yeah, like I'm glad they did it this way. Like this is better. Uh, you shouldn't be charging that much for these ancient games, but uh, yeah, no, they're 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 more than worth what they're charging, especially with all the DLC. For a long time, the DLC never even went on sale on EA Origin. Like you had to pay full price for the Mass yeah. Effect DLC on PC for years. Like it was gonna call, like if you wanted to play it on PC with all the DLC, you could get like the trilogy on like a Steam sale or something for like nineteen bucks. But if you wanted the DLC, you had to spend like one hundred and thirty. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yep, so, I have fallen in is, love with this franchise all over yeah. again, Matt. I really have. I did not expect this. I'll be honest with you. EA sent me a code. I was like, I actually kind of dreaded playing it. I'll be honest with you. And I think part of it was me remembering the first game and how I got to a point where I felt like mm -hmm. I didn't want to keep playing. So did you play the first game at all on this? No, I, I did not. Uh, you really should try. You I know. You mentioned that when you texted out. me about it. But, dude, I was so into Mass Effect 2, I didn't want to stop playing it. I mean, I, I mean, I understand that. Like, that's not gonna, like I believe me. I was like, that Matt's got it covered, man. So like, I trust his opinion on anything Mass Effect. I know he's going to handle the first game. I'm also very glad that you took the first game. <laughs> oh, you knew I was going to play this whole thing start to finish i, I mean, knew is... but i didn't know which game you would start with and uh um, always one I, so i, I did ask I you can't. first out of respect because i you're the you're honestly the expert on this franchise so i was like i'll let matt pick like whatever one he wants to start I can't with just jump to mass effect 2 without a without a, a seasoned shepherd <laughs> i did because <laughs> it's my favorite of the three so mm -hmm. uh i am having a blast with this game I, I know you may be sitting there being like but shane like resident evil just came out and like you know, Ratchet and Clank's getting ready. And all these big games are starting to come into the channels yeah. now. But I'm telling you, a lot of them are going to have problems being better than this game and providing more value. I mean, you're looking at, like, yeah. 120, 150 hours of play out of $60. It's it's amazing. And it, almost all of it is gold. Yes. Like, like there's no the, throwaway. Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah, I am more Except than pleasantly surprised by this. <laughs> I, I, mean, I can't really endorse it anymore. Like, it's the best yeah. deal I've come across in gaming in a long time, and I am more than pleasantly surprised by the changes, by how well it's held up. Mac, yeah. think like about was, the other like games from 14 like, you know, years ago. I can hardly even play them anymore. Yeah, well, I was ready to, like, do the thing where, you know, you load up the remaster of the thing, and, like, you know, I love this game, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's just really pleasant to see that again and play it, and I hear the music, and it's funny, and I'm like, it's cool, and, uh, and I was ready for it to be kind of th the thing I would do with a lot of other remastered stuff I like, where I'm like, I'll play a little bit. Maybe I'll play a little bit of Mass Effect 2. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Maybe I'll play a little bit of Mass Effect Okay, I'm Jump done. Jump around, yeah. yeah. But like an hour or two into the first one, I'm like, nope, I'm going all the way through this. Yeah, like We're doing, totally we're doing this again. I was ready to do it again. I was ready for But I was also ready to be like, 
that's fine. It's of its time. I still like it, but it's not going to pull me in in 2021. No, I'm, I'm in. I'm yeah, doing it again. Me too. I And this, then I'm completely happy to consider this the definitive version of the Mass Effect trilogy from here on out. It's done. Like, like they don't need to do anything else to it. Like, it would just... No, like maybe 14 years from now, they got to re-up, do it to do B8K or something. <laughs> whatever, but like, whatever the hell we're whatever using they do, to Whatever we're doing then, they got to turn it into a virus we inject into our ear or whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> we're going to do by then. But um, no, it's just, this is, I couldn't have asked for anything better. They really this. did a great they job. They knocked and, it completely out of the park. And it is encouraging to me that BioWare worked on this. Um, because, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I think for most people, their confidence in Bioware has been slipping for a while now. Um, with Mass Effect 4, you know, we already got the debut trailer for that. Um, and people are starting to maybe figure out maybe, mm-hmm. you know, is Mass Effect worth getting excited over again? This restores a good deal of my confidence back into Bioware. And to your point, it absolutely demonstrates that they get what is special about their old games that made them a household name. So. That's two emphatic thumbs up from the Game Face crew for Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I, it's the best remaster remake I think I've played um, because yeah. because honestly, for a lot of remakes or remasters, the base game just isn't as good as this. And so they were starting with a head start to begin with, and then they just do an amazing knock it out of the park job on it. And it's just yeah. The only like thing I would compare personally would be something like. Um... Like Shadow of the Colossus, yeah. Um, except like Shadow of the Colossus, like they changed, you know, they changed a lot of how the look look is. They changed some of the color timing. That none of that's happened here. Like this is a much more true to the original remake than Shadow of the Colossus. And I like the changes in Shadow of the Colossus. I think yeah. it looks better. I think it looks cool, but it's different. And it's this still, is not. I'll say this though about Shadow of the Colossus: it still felt a bit clunky to me to play. Yeah. Whereas this yeah. game, like. All the jankiness that I remembered from it way back when is gone. Mm-hmm. So it's been to me, it's been improved in every way. And to me, that's yeah. why I can't think of another remaster or remake that has resonated. Yeah. I even had a couple of people I know who who um, have never played this before, and they started up, and they're like, they're like, "I thought you said the first game was really janky." I'm like, "It was. <laughs> it but was. You're not, you're not <laughs> playing that anymore. You're playing the fixed one. You're playing a good one." Yeah, I'm really impressed with this. I'm impressed that EA bundle that yeah. package together for a reasonable price like it's just it's great oh and the other thing i'll say about the mako because while we're talking about things people didn't like uh mako uh it climbs stuff way better now like there are very unless you're like talking about a sheer mountain face the mako can go up just about anything now with not nearly as much strain and stress as in the original so like the frustration of getting around in the mako is very minimal now you know what um, the make what just sprung to my even mind. Even the Thresher Maw fights are different. Like they've changed the Thresher Maw fights. So like all the the you remember how it would go underground, he couldn't see it and it'd pop up and kill you. Like yep. that's all gone. Like wow. you can see where it is all the time. Like it's much more clear where it is and what you're supposed oh, to do. Oh, that's a huge upgrade. Like they huge. changed everything. That, that like, whole battle was like random. Like whether you finished it or not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Every once in a while, it just pop up and you just yeah, be you're dead. like, oh, Instant. I guess I'm dead. <laughs> like the I, I associated in my head the sound of the thresher mob popping immediately followed by that dun 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 dun. <laughs> like, that, that, like you're dead. Like synth riff, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, yes, that never happened in this. To me, yeah, they completely re, re, redid the Thresher Maw like mechanics, yeah. so it's way less frustrating. I just realized that the Mako, and I don't know if this is on purpose or, or not, but the Mako is kind of like the Moon Buggy from Moon Patrol. 
I think that was, in- that was it definitely was intentional. intentional I think it was intentional. Because it looks so. like it, and it handles like it. Like, move yeah. control, you hit the jump button, and the buggy goes, yeah. and it's like... I cannot possibly imagine that uh, the people making the Mako didn't ever thought it. Like, there's no way yeah. you're building a video game moon buggy and not thinking about that game a It looks bit. a little too close for comfort. I mean, I'm it's even got totally a gun dumb. on the front and a gun on the top. Yeah. You know, it's like... It's- <laughs> And by the yep. way, I really need to emphasize that the gun, that they changed the cannon and the machine gun sounds on the Mako. It sounds so powerful now. It makes like difference. when you're unloading that machine, you know, that a Gatling gun used to be like, like yeah. that thing. Now it's, now it feels like you are firing wads of metal out of the, it sounds like, it sounds like something Jesse Ventura would shoot at the predator. Like it's, <laughs> it's really feels good now. Awesome. Yep. So again, that's two emphatic thumbs up from Game Face for Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Go buy it. You won't regret it, I promise you. All right, it's time to move on. Matt, ever since Microsoft bought Bethesda, the big question everybody had was, well, are Bethesda's games now going to be exclusive to Xbox and PC, or are they going to end up coming to other platforms? And then when you start seeing stuff like other Xbox games still being released on other platforms, and then you see things like MLB The Show being released for Xbox, you really start to wonder, one, if it's smart to keep a game on one platform, and just two, if the the tides have changed. And at this point, these companies aren't viewing themselves as like cutthroat competitors like they used to. Um, and so the question was still out there. What's up with Bethesda? What's going to happen with Bethesda's lineup of games um, when they are finally ready for release, are they going to be Xbox and PC exclusive, or are they also going to come to PlayStation? Well, this week, unfortunately, via VentureBeat's Jeff Grubb, and I maybe I shouldn't say unfortunately because some people will be happy about it, but we learned this week that, in fact, well, the first game that's coming out from Bethesda, which is Starfield, will in fact be exclusive to Xbox and PC. Uh, Mr. Grubb also went on to say that Based on his sources, he also believes that that will continue to be the case for all of Bethesda's games going forward. Matt, were you surprised by this information at all? Uh, no, because I predicted it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember which episode. But it was around the time that happened or right after it or something, and we were talking about that, and I basically said, like, look, like other stuff, things they've already signed contracts for maybe, but I was like, Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six are going to be on Xbox and PC only. Like, that's it. Like, there's no other reason to spend that kind of money on Bethesda. Like, of course, you want to have people have to buy, you know, buy into your ecosystem to play the next Elder Scrolls. Like, there's no way. Um, so yeah, it doesn't doesn't surprise me. It's the whole point of buying companies, buying dev developers. Sony does it too. Like, yeah. you know, that's that's how the game works. It's like being upset that Xenoblade's not coming to Xbox. Doesn't make any sense. Like, it's it's just how it works. So wait, you don't think from a fiscal sense it? It makes sense for, from a fiscal perspective. It doesn't make sense to what to release it for multiple platforms. Not as much as driving people to your ecosystem makes sense. Yeah, I, it's just when you—that's how exclusives have always worked. I know, like, I know, that's not new. I know, I know, but it's just—it's different now because of the way that Microsoft is creating revenue from something that, by all accounts, is losing significant amounts of money right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do realize this Bethesda was a huge bet based on that, that, you know, we need a developer yeah, like l- Bethesda in the roster to make this a profitable endeavor. Right, but look, this is going to sell Xboxes. Like, you're, people are going to buy Xbox Series Xs for Starfield. Yeah. And for whatever they're, you know, the, there was a, I can't remember, somebody, some Microsoft guy accidentally let slip as a Fallout thing they're working on. 
which may have been 76, but it might've been something else. Like we don't know, um, you know, some fallout thing that'll, you know, only on Microsoft that'll sell stuff that'll sell boxes. Not that they need help right now. Like you can't get an Xbox series X either any more than the PlayStation five. Um, it's a little easier. Like you, they come into stock more often, but like, uh, yeah, I guess just, you know, why wouldn't you want people to have to buy your platform to play Elder Scrolls? Like, that's the whole point. It's like, it's like why you have to buy a PS5 to play God of War, because God of War is great and I want to play it. Well, in like, fact, it looks like the bow has finally broken for Xbox Series consoles. Um, you know, lo- there's no longer these big, like, we just got stock, they're going up at noon, good luck getting one anymore. Now stores are, have been instructed to, when they get in new stock to just add them into the stock in the database and first come first serve. There's not going to be big announcements. It sounds like Xbox has almost satisfied launch demand at this point. Sort of like I, I was just involved with some friends get trying to get some, uh, and we found some on uh, Walmart's site and they were gone in three minutes. Okay. So still selling Uh, really quickly, but they're, they're still, but they aren't doing like, you're right. They aren't doing like the announcement of like at noon today, we will have series X's. You just have to like, no, find out they're there from like Wario 64 or somebody on somebody, right. Somebody who's on it refreshing or something. Yeah. Yeah. Someone will put up the alert on Reddit or on Twitter and be like, they got them. And like you go, and if you're lucky, you get one and that's it. Um, although my, my brother-in-law got one, and the estimated like arrival date was like May twenty seventh, oh, and he got it like three days later. Oh, okay. Like it was super fast. Like he he was like, oh, it already arrived. Like, so I was, I was, I was, I was ready to wait for like three weeks. Um, yeah, but like yeah, so it's not, so. But on the other hand, like I haven't seen PlayStation fives pop up in weeks. So uh, yes, it is harder still to get a PS five. And I, my guess is it's going to continue that. It's going to continue to be. Yeah, I would think so. I, I want. I mean, I don't. Obviously, we don't know if Sony's even going to do anything around the time of E3. They, they didn't before. Um, but if they do, I wonder if they will address that at all. Yeah. So Matt, it's kind of a no-brainer with Starfield and the Elder Scrolls. It may be Fallout. Yeah. But what about some of Bethesda's other IP, like Doom or Wolfenstein or Prey? or Dishonored, do you think maybe those games might have a better chance of coming to PlayStation, or you think it's still no No, I think go? they're all going to be on, you know, like like, like uh, Phil said, if it, you know, anywhere game passes, but yeah. other than that, that's it. I mean, theoretically, they if once, like, the time is over and, like, a year or two has passed, I guess you could throw Starfield on PlayStation just to make some extra cash on it or something, but more than likely, they just stopped development on the PS5 version and called it a day. Now, Matt, today there was a new trailer release for Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. And in the trailer, mm-hmm. it says PS5 console exclusive. Do you think that that's a hint that maybe that game may eventually come to PC? No, I think that's a hint that it's only it's not on PS4. So you think that's messaging to people saying, look, you'll never play this on Xbox? No, I think it's a messaging saying if you have a PS4, you can't play this. Oh, got you. For people who haven't upgraded yet to PS5. Ah, that's a good point, actually. You're probably right. It's probably them saying, like, this isn't going to be one of those cross This won't work on a PS4, I think is what they're trying to say there. Yeah. Do you think that Bethesda's lineup of IP is enough to sort of do what was intended when Bethesda was purchased, which is make Game Pass profitable? Because here's another thing, Matt. This week... Resident Evil Village went on sale for Xbox Series and Xbox One because, and I don't know if you probably haven't watched Pactor Factor lately, but he's mentioned a couple times some stuff he shouldn't mention. He's mentioned, like, literal MPD figures. And he has said that nobody... Watched the most recent one. Yeah. Nobody is paying 
for games on Xbox anymore. He said that mm. after launch of the Series X that they had sold like 20,000 box copies of games. Yeah, I, I did see that episode. That's yeah. insane, dude. Resident Evil Village came out last week. It's already on discount for Xbox Series and Xbox One. One of the questions recently posed to Pactor is, could Game Pass scare off third-party publishers? You know, because if you're mm-hmm. going to sell, look, if you're going to sell 5,000 copies of Resident Evil Village on Xbox Series, I mean, with numbers that low, is it worth it to do a port? It doesn't. I mean, if Microsoft is paying you enough, if Microsoft's paying you Epic Game Store money, yeah, but I that guess. brings us back to where do you make your money on Game Pass? Right, right. It becomes this kind of vicious cycle of where's your mm-hmm. money coming from? How are you making money off of this? Like, well, that's kind of been the biggest question about Game Pass the whole time, right? Is like, where is the, well, as as Pactor might say, where is the profit deal? Yeah, here? yeah. Where and is? I it? don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer <laughs> to that. You know, I, I guess I guess they're counting on on like scale, like economy of scale. Like, get enough people in there, and you're going to be profitable no matter what because they're all paying you the subscription every year. or every four months or whatever. But like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. I assume someone in the, the labyrinth of Microsoft has crunched those numbers and knows the magic target number. And they think that, you know, the next Skyrim could get them there. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I assume they have a plan. Uh, Maybe that's a bad assumption given how the Xbox One went, but like I don't know, like it's different people in charge now. I agree with you. I think Microsoft plan Microsoft's plan is to make good with some other payment to make sure the games Mm -hmm. are coming out. But Matt, there are so many games that are released, and I, despite Microsoft's endless well of money, I find it very hard to believe that they're going to money hat every game. Like you start, we're going to talk a little bit later about a game called Hood. It's like a B-level, like, multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Like, is Microsoft going to incentivize every game like that? So that it – because, look, Hood's they, not going to – Is that su- Game Pass? I don't know, honestly. But I'm just mm-hmm. using that as a hypothetical situation, as a game that, like, isn't that high profile. Is Microsoft going to continue to money hat every publisher so even, like, B-tier games continue to come to Xbox if they're, if they're not going to end up on Game Pass? Like – I don't know, man. I don't know how this works long term to to ensure that people who buy an Xbox Series console are going to have a steady stream mm. of software from a variety of genres. Like, I don't I mean, know. If they're paying for it, they're going to pay for it. And I mean, look, I don't know a third party publisher that wouldn't rather have guaranteed payment than hoping their game sells a bunch of copies. Yeah, like that's. I just find it hard to Microsoft believe that they're going to be able to pay every publisher just to release a game on its platform. Like so, so far that seems to be the plan. Uh, I mean, I feel like this generation is make or break for the Game Pass plan. If it doesn't yeah, yeah. do what they hope it to do by the end of this gen, they're going to have to pivot moving to the next. I don't think gen. they would pivot, Matt. But, I think if Game Pass doesn't work, that's it for Xbox. I think it would just go away. I don't think Microsoft is going to give up on that. I, I think know. Microsoft wants to have a part of that space hell or high water and uh, it's going to continue whether, you know, I think, I mean, it might be like a sad thing where they're just sort of limping along Sega style for a while, but uh, I could, I could see like the next Xbox being sort of like a Dreamcast equivalent in a weird way, but yeah. uh, I don't know. Like, like I don't feel like I have enough information to make a call on what they're doing or the odds of what they're doing succeeding. Like, it just feels like 
I mean, it's, at least it ain't boring yeah, to watch, you know? Sure. Like, <laughs> I just look at those software sales and my eyeballs, like, pop out of my head. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? How can you have a functioning platform when you're selling no retail games? Like, it's just... I Look, they're brave. I'll hand them that. But they yeah. have the money to be brave. But at the same time, you just got to wonder if eventually there's going to be some kind of a breaking point there. I just... I don't know. I mean, it's, as they would say in... Uh... As they would say on pe- on Peanuts or Charlie Brown, it's Sydney or the Bush. Um, <laughs> it's either, they're either going to figure it; it's going to make that breakthrough, and it's going to be like we did it. Like we got a we got a whole new kind of revenue stream in in the video game industry. Like we created a new form of of how to how to make profit. Yeah. Uh, well, profit. You mean or, revenue right now? <laughs> yeah, rev- but I mean, if it gets to where they want it to get, yeah. then that's what they got. They're like, we have a whole new kind of. Uh, of way of getting prop- profitability out of our customers that none of the others have anything resembling and are probably never going to try to build. And, you know, that's a, that's a feather in their cap. It's like a hard thing to compete with, but the question remains, like you said, can you get there? Is there a there to get to? Yeah. Like, is there, you know, like, I, like you know, it's just a bunch of question marks right now. It's really crazy. I will say this anecdotally, since the launch of Xbox Series consoles, anything that we publish about Game Pass now does three times the traffic mm-hmm. it did before. I mean, credit where credit is due. Like this is, they came up with you know for a company, especially like Xbox, no pun intended. They came out with came up with a really outside the box solution yeah. to their problem, and whether it works or not, like you just said, like people are paying attention. Like they got they got people's eyes on them, whether it works or not. Like everyone's like, even if it's just like a, well, I can't wait to see this train catch fire and fly off the cliff, kind of thing. You know, it's they're in the news. Their people are talking about them, which is more than you can say for most of last gen. So you know, to, I to guess use one well of your played. phrases, Matt. Though I wonder if this was a solution in search of a problem because the real Possible. the real problem for Microsoft was that there just weren't enough exclusive games. That was it. Nobody disliked their hardware. No one disliked how they did business. It was just that there weren't enough exclusive games. Right. And the Game Pass thing kind of felt like a Band-Aid for that. Right. Until we have games you actually want to buy, we're just going to give you a bunch of free cookies kind of thing. Right, and they fixed the problem. They buy all these studios, one of which is huge and really important, and then they kind of just bail on the traditional model. I don't know. It's... They must. They must see something. They have to. They must see something in there. Yeah. Like they know something we don't. They That's do the have only all the data, and we don't. So we do or, have to kind of. Or acquiesce. they're crazy. Like maybe. <laughs> or they are crazy. We're right. It's one or the other. So, it is pretty. I look again. I give Microsoft props for trying this. And again, it is one of the only companies in the world who could do something like this. Yeah. Who could just lose that much money hand over fist month after month and get away with it. Yeah, the only, maybe the only Amazon could. Yeah. Looking at you, Luna. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. But Nintendo could never do it. PlayStation could definitely never do it. I mean, Google do could it. do it, but Google gave up after a year. Yeah, yeah, Stadia could have done it. But we saw already that Google wasn't willing to lose that kind of money. No, although Google, that's just in Google's character. Like, yeah. Google can't stick with anything. They have no, it has to be they have an no stamina. Instant smash success, or it's going to go away eventually. Right. That's pretty much how Google operates. Um, and I mean, the, it's certainly the stories coming out of people that worked, you know, a dev in for Stadia, they pretty much all seem to universally agree that Google had no idea how game development and the industry they were getting into worked. Which is insane, because again, yeah. they could have hired either one of us as a consultant. 
They had Jade Raymond. Like they, yeah. she could have told you like in an afternoon what to expect. I'm like, just making the, a point. Like we haven't even worked in development, and yeah. we could have told Stadia what it was doing that was. I wrong. mean, it's a weird thing. I've said. I think I said it before when we talked talked Stadia stuff before. But it's like I've worked for app people, you know, doing like you know video production stuff, and they they don't understand that not every kind of media production works on the same timetable or structure as app coding. Yeah. They just don't get it. Yeah. They don't understand why you don't like, like there, like there was a whole thing. At one point I remember I dealt with a thing where they, they thought the way you shot a show was you did it and you shot the show and you showed it to everybody. And then you went back and shot it again <laughs> to incorporate the notes from like the home office or whatever, the, the, the executive wing. Oh, and then just kept reshooting the show until the executives were happy. Yeah. And I'm like, no yeah those companies think that it's one size fits all amazon's the same way like they have a a corporate structure that has worked for being a retailer and no matter what Mm -hmm. department you work in at amazon even twitch all those same principles apply to your job Mm. it's bizarre but it is fascinating to see how like you see especially in like once you get above a certain pay grade there's this level where people are like well, this thing we did is really successful, so there's no reason the way we did it shouldn't be successful in every possible context. <laughs> and that is not that maybe way. the dumbest thing yeah. I have. Like, at what point was it when they put vice in your title that you became an idiot? Like, <laughs> what? Like, why would you? That's not how anything works. Like, did you live in the world before you became an executive at a company? Especially that's as not far as creative things work. Like, it just doesn't yeah. apply. You can't just slap that template down on, oh, we made a ton of money selling stuff online. Now let's control Twitch with the same principles. Right. Like, it doesn't work And I think you and way. I have both seen people who came out of creative end up in that mindset. Yep. And it's baffling. It really is because it's not how it works. No. Um, but I guess bottom line through this news is, and I think everyone was kind of waiting at this to figure out whether this was going to be the case, is am I going to have to buy an Xbox if I want to play Bethesda's games? And the answer is, yes, you are. So if you want to play The Elder Scrolls, Starfield, Wolfenstein, Doom, Prey, Dishonored, any of those franchises, you're going to have to buy an Xbox Series console. That's yeah. really what it's come down to, and maybe that's something. I mean, they... also it's like not any different if you want to play Avowed or yeah. or, or Hellblade Two or any. Yeah. You know, it's like that's if you know that's the whole that's the game. Yep. You know, first party studios make stuff for the platform owner. That's... I think people maybe had some hope in light of what's happened and Microsoft's track record. Because remember, they allowed a banjo game to be released on a Nintendo handheld and blah yeah. blah blah. So... But also remember that like banjo is not Skyrim. Yeah. Yep. Like the, the, there's a difference between loaning out your sort of, you know, B-list friendly stuff IP, yeah. and friendly you know, and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, paying three, some 4 billion for a company that has a game that is 10 years old and continues to sell, you know, it's like Skyrim and GTA four. It's just like, who doesn't have these games or GTA five? Like who doesn't have these games yet, but yeah. they keep selling. They do. Well, GTA five's coming out this holiday season for yep. PS5 and Xbox series. Like, and it'll probably be on top of the charts. And here's but... a pro tip for all of y'all. If any of you are really sick of GTA 5 and you want GTA 6, do not buy these games in November. Just don't. If The urge may be almost overwhelming to you that you need to buy GTA 5 for your PS5 or your Xbox Series X. Don't do it. 
as long as people keep spending money on GTA 5 and GTA Online, we are never going to get Grand Theft Auto 6. I'm just telling you, don't buy the games. And I hate saying that because I want the industry to do well, but I'm just being honest. We're never going to get GTA 6 until people stop spending money on GTA 5. <laughs> it's absurd, Matt. Stop it. Stop well, why buying it. <laughs> Please. I, I beg of you, don't buy the games. I want Grand Theft Auto 6 before I'm dead. All they got to do for GTA 5 on the new systems is incorporate some of those mods ideas that people have done. Where where they make it look like super hyper real. (laughs) Like just make it look like that and you'll sell all the same. You'll sell it to everybody who already owns it all over again. 50 million of them, I know. And they're never going to release a new game unless you stop it. So please stop. Yep. (laughs) All right. Let's move on. But it's not going to happen. I know. I know. It's going to be. You watch. It'll be one of the top selling games in November. Again. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be one of the best like, selling be games there with, like, You're gonna be sitting there with all these like Nintendo and Sony exclusives that are amazing, and like GTA Five's gonna be at the top of the charts. Because Matt, Christmas. you gotta remember, most people are going to get their PS Five or their Xbox Series console this holiday season. Yeah, they're, this is when a lot of because mm-hmm. they're gonna be more readily available, and people are gonna be able to get them. Grandma's gonna be able to buy them for the grandson or whatever. And what are all those people gonna ask for, Matt? They're going to ask for Grand Theft Auto Five. You'll ask for that game they really love. Hi. Keep playing GTA Online. <laughs> it's so discouraging. <laughs> All right, let's move on. I feel like I have to before I have a coronary. Um, we're going to talk next about Donkey Kong. Matt, did you realize? <laughs> I know. We're just shifting gears there. Matt, did you realize that Donkey Kong, this is its 40th anniversary yeah. Donkey Kong Arcade mm-hmm. launched in 1981. This So this is the 40th anniversary of Donkey Kong. I think because of all the other big Nintendo anniversaries that are going on right now, you've got Metroid, you had Mario, you got Zelda this year. I think people just forgot that it's 40 years of Donkey Kong, which just blows my mind. And they have done nothing so far to support it. Well, out of nowhere mm-hmm. this week, reports started popping up that Nintendo is, in fact attempting to do something for Donkey Kong on his 40th anniversary. Nintendo Life reports that there is, in fact, a new Donkey Kong game coming from Nintendo. Now, keep in mind, Matt, Nintendo has not made a Donkey Kong game in-house since Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. That's, yeah, they, they usually... they that Retro was the Donkey Kong studio for a long time. Yeah, and that was 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think Jungle Beat came out also 14 years Sounds ago. Sounds about right. Oddly enough. Um... Well, the the report from Nintendo Life states that not only is this game being made in-house at Nintendo, it's being made by the by the Super Mario Odyssey team. Mm-hmm. Now, if you dig a little further into it, now here's the other thing. It's actually been corroborated by two other sources who have been on point with Nintendo leaks in the past. So, basically this news is coming from three different sources. All of them agree that it's a new Donkey Kong and it's coming from internal Nintendo Studios, and it's the Super Mario Odyssey team. What they have not agreed on yet is whether it's 2D, 2.5D, or 3D. All three reports have kind of hinted at separate things. But it appears that the new Donkey Kong is coming from the same team that made Super Mario Odyssey. Matt, do you think that it's a good idea for that team to be working on a Donkey Kong game instead of a new 3D Mario game? I mean, I personally don't because I don't like Donkey Kong very much. What don't um, you like about Donkey Kong, Matt? 
I just don't. As his adorable any, face comes up on screen. I just don't have any affinity for him. I, I, I didn't like the Donkey Kong Country games, which I know is is heresy, <laughs> but I didn't like how they looked and I, I didn't like how they played. And uh, I, I don't particularly like gorillas very much. <laughs> um, I don't know. The I don't band or the like, animal? Uh, what? The band or the animal? I like the band. I don't like the animal. Doesn't do much for me. I don't hate gorillas or anything. I don't want them poached or whatever. I, I big support for Diane Fossey and all, but like, um, I don't. I just it, they're, they're just fine, fine. But like, I don't care. They scare the living Kong. crap out of me, dude. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to meet one. In, in, you know, there's on no, the street, nothing more intimidating like, to me than a gorilla because they're smart as us and they're like five times the strength. Like, I would be more worried about a uh, a chimp or an orangutan. They're pretty chimps dangerous are, too. Can be chimps. Are, chimps are mean. Chimps are, chimps are like us. That's the they problem. are smarter. Like they, yeah, and they're mean. They're, they're they're mean like us too. Yeah. yeah, gorilla would be more likely to sit there and watch you go by. Is there um, is there anything they could do with Donkey Kong that would make you more interested in it? Like, did you were you interested in Donkey Kong sixty four back in the day? I was, that was one of the things that really cemented my dislike of Donkey okay. Kong was I hated Donkey Kong 64. Okay. Um, not because of, of him or anything. Yeah, you know, I, I, I certainly support the DK rap as an N64 <laughs> classic track. Um, also, actually, I uh, Uncharted Worlds, the song that plays during the Galaxy Map in Mass Effect, best map song in video game history. Ah. Like, love that song. But um, the problem with that game was I was looking for another banjo. I was excited yeah. for like more kind of a, you know, it was rare. It was, they were doing yeah. basically the banjo formula with Donkey Kong. Great. That sounds great. But actually what they did was they split all of banjo's moves up among five characters. You had to switch between constantly to pick all the things up. And then they killed, it used the expansion pack, but it killed the draw distance. So you couldn't look up and see where the golden bananas were they you would needed disappear. to collect. They yeah. disappeared. So you had to you know, go up there to find out if yep. there was anything up there, and maybe there wasn't, maybe wasted all that time. And then, oh, we got up there, and like, oh, actually, you need the, the other character to get the stuff that's up here. So you got to go all the way back to the character change pad and go all the way back up. Like, I just hated that game. I actually really liked it and played it. I, I needed one final thing to get it 100%, and I could never beat it to get it. it if you gave me draw <laughs> but, distance and the ability to insta-switch characters, I would play it again. Now, here's but one thing I would say about Donkey Kong 64. Back in those days, people accused Rare of making what they called collect-a-thons. That was oh, like yeah. the way to slag off Rare's games. Oh, it's just a collect-a-thon. It's just a collect-a-thon. I vehemently disagreed with that with the Banjo games. However... Yes. Donkey Kong but they 64. Might have had a point on this yes. One. <laughs> Donkey Kong 64 was like the prophecy coming to reality. It literally was a collectathon. Yeah, I still it was almost it, like Rare decided to like spite those people. Right. They're like, like, oh, like, okay, right, we make collectathons. You want to see what a collectathon looks like? We will show you <laughs> it is. what a collectathon works yeah. looks like. And look, I may you have were picking up. Weren't you picking up like five hundred? Yes. Like little bananas uh-huh. or little whatever they are. Wherever you know, instead of like a hundred musical yep. notes, you're picking up like a hundred bananas. A hundred bananas of each color. Yep. Hundred for each for each character. Yep. That's exactly. Oh right. my god! What a nightmare that game was. Like, just... it, it was indeed a collectathon. So I could see where it might have turned some people off to the franchise. But man. Donkey Kong. Like I am not able to to non-completest things. So that game was a nightmare to me. If you can just walk through it and not care about all the extra golden like weather bananas, just play enough to get through the game. Like, yeah, it was, it was probably pretty fun, but I can't do that. Yeah. This is not my character. I, I am not, as you guys know, if you've watched enough Game Face, I am not the world's biggest 2D platformer fan. And I'll just give the Cribnos version of why. It's because I've been playing them since I was like four years old. 
and I don't feel like they've evolved all that much. I totally yeah, get they don't, they don't hold a lot of more surprises for you, I wouldn't no, think. No, and I, look, I totally get that there's some 12-year-old kid out there who hasn't played any of them, and they love them. But I'm just being honest with you. I've played too many of them, and it takes a lot for me to get excited about one anymore. So personally, I am hoping that the new Donkey Kong game is a 3D platformer. What about you, Matt? Which would you prefer? I honestly never considered the fact it wouldn't be. Really? Uh, with the Odyssey team in place. I, I, I would figure they're kind of taking the Odyssey model and applying it to Donkey Kong. But the um, last three Donkey Kong, four Donkey Kong games have all been 2D side-scrollers. Yeah, but why why waste the Odyssey team on that? It just it feels like Nintendo has sort of designated certain franchises for certain things. Now, Mario, Somewhat, obviously... But they also aren't afraid to shake things up and do something new. And when they change teams, that's usually what that means. Yeah. Um. I would mildly be interested in a game that is sort of contextualizing Donkey Kong into the Mario universe a little more. Yeah, because um, they like were bros from the beginning, right? And like, if, or and enemies, yeah. but like if you're, but if you're giving, um, like if you're giving this to the Odyssey team, like my brain starts to go to like, well, you're giving it to the people who made New Donk City. So <laughs> is so are we gonna be? Is it gonna be set there? Is it gonna right. be like a like? You're gonna contextualize how Donkey Kong fits into the New Donk. He comes New Donk to New City Donk City and like climbs sort of a really tall building. Is or... New Donk City like the city? in the world of Donkey Kong country. Right. You know, if like, if you leave the jungle, do you get to New Donk City? Is that what happens there? There is like, some I'd be, potential I'd be kind of interested. There. I'd be interested in fleshing out the Donkey Kong lore is what I'm saying here, <laughs> which is the dumbest thing I might've ever said. But I'm like, if like you tell me what, how that all fits together and, and give me the, the story about why Mario hangs out with him now instead of trying to capture him. I mean, I know the Donkey Kong we know from country is actually the grown up Donkey Kong Jr. Right. Um, and so, and Cranky Kong is the Donkey Kong that was the bad guy in the original 81 game. Um, I don't remember if that's official canon or if just what the people at Rare said, but it's apparently that's what happened. I mean, is it canon that Donkey Kong is dead? I mean, Cranky's still around. No, I mean like the OG Donkey Kong that was in the original arcade game. Is he dead? No, he's Cranky Kong. Oh, he's Cranky Kong. I Cranky Kong is that Donkey Kong uh, as an old I never gorilla. knew that. Yeah. Like I and always say, donkey, you always learn something watching Game Face. And, and then the Donkey Kong, who's the star of all the you know country and all those other things, that's Donkey Kong Jr. Yeah, I, know, I knew that so, part. I didn't know that yeah, the OG no, Cranky Donkey Kong, Kong is supposed cranky. to be old. Yeah, Cranky Kong is supposed to be original Donkey Kong on top of the girders. Donkey I thought Kong. it was he. Cranky was Grandpa Kong for some reason. Well, he's, well, yeah, he is technically. But like he's he's that Donkey Kong. He's the original Donkey Kong. Uh, Matt, um, which, is why he, think... which is why he complains about how it was better in the arcades. Because that was him. Ah. <laughs> I tend to believe, though, that the reason the game was handed to Nintendo's uh, studio at, that built Odyssey is because Retro's working on Metroid. Part of it, but also, like, I mean, that's an A-list studio. Like, yeah. why why just have them do a tropical freeze dupe, you know? Now, one of the reports did say that it's not exactly the same studio, that they've mm-hmm. formed a new team inside that studio to work on Donkey Kong, but that was one of the three reports said that. So who knows if it's I mean, it could be. I mean, I would like to. I mean, not as I'm not a huge Donkey Kong fan, like I said, but I would like to see if they're going to give it to a, a team as career, you know, some fragment of that team that's as creative as those guys and as skilled as those guys. I would like to see Donkey Kong kind of get his Super Mario Odyssey moment. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice to see them branch out with that character again. I'd I agree. I'm not against the idea of what Donkey Kong 64 was going for. I just thought it was done really obnoxiously. If you want to do another big 3D platformer thing with Donkey Kong, I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, 
And I think it would sell. I mean, I obviously would prefer a 3D platformer because I'm not a big fan of 2D platformers anymore. Um, I just think it provides a lot more opportunity for creativity in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I feel like the Super Mario Odyssey team probably agrees with you. Yeah, you know? and I think that they've proven that with those with that template yeah. in hand, they can do some amazing work. So yeah. it would be silly to make that team create a two, even a two and a half D platformer. Right, um, but you can't rule it out. I mean, you're right. right. With all due respect, the Super Mario 3D World, which was really a two and a half D with some 3D yeah. parts in it, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, to be honest with you. The new Donkey Kong is something like that. But no, but even with that, like the, um, you know, the add-on they did for Super Mario 3D World was much more along the lines of Odyssey than what 3D World was. Yep, that's absolutely true. Um, That's a good point. Um, I'll be interested in the chat. Just put 2D or 3D in the chat, which one you would prefer for the next Donkey Kong game. I'd like to see if if we're on an island here, if you guys want. A lot of people, like you said earlier, Matt, really love the Donkey Kong Country games and the 2D games that Retro made for the Wii U and now, obviously, Tropical Freeze is on Switch as well. It looks um, like 3D is uh, definitely 3D, in the lead. 2D, 3D, 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 winning in a landslide. I, re- I respect the passes, by the way. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I get it. Erebus Jones pass. He's just like, I'll take anything I can get. Or maybe he just he doesn't want either. He hates Donkey Kong. <laughs> I, I think it was just like, I don't want to play a Donkey I, I take the passes as I don't want to play a Donkey Kong game. Playland I, actually spelled it out. Playland MX, neither. No DK, please. So some people don't like. Yes, I, I am the last member of the DK crew. <laughs> <laughs> The MK crew. (laughs) Uh, But as of right now, that's all the information we have on the next DK, other than the fact that two of the reports said it's coming before the end of the year. So it is the 40th anniversary. It would make sense if this project is legit that it would be coming out this year. Um, So it might be Switches, one of Switches' big Q4 games, which does not bode well for Breath of the Wild 2 or my fantasy team. <laughs> that would be wow. I'm still holding I mean, on I, hope, I, Kyle. I, you know, I don't expect Breath of the Wild two this year, but to get yeah. a Donkey Kong game instead, would, oh yeah, that would be a little hurtful. But I was like, kind of like mildly wishing for maybe we might get a Metroid thing and we get a Donkey Kong game. I mean, let's oh. be honest. D Day for Breath of the Wild two coming out this year is at E three. So yeah, but it's gonna be DK Day. Which, by <laughs> the way, yeah. Which, by the way, is only three weeks away, Matt. E three twenty twenty one. Three weeks away. We will definitely know when it's over whether Breath of the Wild 2 is going to make it out this year or not. Mm-hmm. It's not looking good, but I'm still holding out hope that it might might happen. Narrator, um, it didn't. <laughs> it could very well be the case. But anyway, that's the latest on Donkey Kong. It is crazy how he's kind of disappeared because Nintendo really yeah. supported oh, that it, IP I, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I was th- just thinking about release dates. I, we didn't mention in the Bethesda thing that like there was a rumored release date for Starfield. Oh, and that's uh, now not happening. You're right. That's 2022 yeah. now. Yep. So yeah, two twenty two twenty two is the rumor. I think both release. of us were like, "There's no way it's coming out this year." I this think- year feels too early. But I mean, two twenty two twenty two maybe. Like Bethesda does like all one letter, one one number dates. Yeah, that's and true. that is a Tuesday. Oh, um, look at that. So it does line up. Uh, two two, two 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 release date. Yep, two 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 two. I could see it. It's possible. 
Uh, so anyway, that's the latest on Donkey Kong. We should also have much more of that on that in three weeks' time at E3. I think that's another case where if we don't see it at E3, it's probably not happening or it's definitely not happening this year. Um, but then again, sometimes those smaller IPs, Nintendo will just announce them in a direct, and three months mm-hmm. later they're here. So it's possible, but I would bet, if I had to bet money on it, I would bet if we don't hear about it at E3 that either – the story yeah. was bogus, they had bad sources, or it's just not going to make it for this If year. it does exist, I think the 25th anniversary celebration of, of Metroid is going to be that there's a Samus helmet you can put on Donkey Kong. Yep, yep. You, that's it. Yep. You, can put a, you can put a Samus helmet on uh, on uh, Diddy Kong. <laughs> and he's got, a, he's got a coconut gun that looks kind of like her, her handgun. I've, I'll just say, I've just written off Metroid Prime 4 at this point. Like, I just... Yeah, no, I definitely not Metroid Prime 4, but I was hoping for, like, a collection, like a new game from uh, Mercury Steam yeah, or something. Yeah. And I just... Maybe, I mean, Mercury Steam could still come through with something. Like, I don't know. But I've tried to just forget... I'm ready for, I'm ready for nothing. I'm <laughs> I ready think that's for probably your safest bet. I've just written off Metroid Prime 4 in my head. So... I'm not expecting it on any year or any day. I just am hoping to be pleasantly surprised when yeah, it Yeah, Metroid Prime 4 is definitely in the I'll believe it when it's installed on my Switch uh, category. Or, or maybe whatever the next system is. Like, who knows yeah. when this thing is going to be. Yep. Or if. Yep. Uh, so anyway, that's it on Donkey Kong. We're going to move on. Hiding in a closet with Pikmin 4 somewhere. <laughs> We're going to move on to our next topic, which is a game that neither Matt nor I played this week uh, with Mass Effect, and I was playing another game we'll talk about a little later. I didn't have time to get to everything. and yeah, so I did want to play this, though. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and this game is Famicom Detective Club, um, and welcome back to Game Phase, Vincent Borchart. He works really hard for us behind the scenes. Um, and he does come on Game Face. He covers games for us when Matt and I can't get to them. This year so far has been so slow. We have not been in a position where there were games that we wanted to play that we and cover on Game Face that we couldn't play ourselves. But this was a case where that happened. So Vincent, and uh, I actually have not played it at all, but Vincent has been playing the game, and he and I had a discussion on it just yesterday. So these are his latest impressions. And this has been pre-recorded. He and I had the discussion yesterday. It was cut together, so this is a pre-produced segment, but still up to the quality that we usually have here on Game Face. Give it a listen and a watch. Oi, Kimi, Dosanda. All right, here we are with Vincent Borchart, a very important component to Sifted. He handles a lot of the curating on the site. He also handles a lot of editorial stuff for us. He produces Game Pass or Fail every week. And normally he's on Game Face a good bit throughout the year, but it's been a slow start to 2021. We're finally getting to the point where there are too many games for Matt and I to tackle ourselves. And so we put him on a special project this week to play Famicom Detective Club for Switch. Vincent, welcome to Game Face. Welcome back to Game Face. It's been a little while. Yeah, I've certainly had enough to do in the meantime. Yeah, it's not like like you're not keeping yourself busy, that's for sure. In fact, this probably threw a whole wrench into your plans for the week. So I appreciate you taking the time to play this. Um, Normally... I would probably wouldn't even included a game like this in Game Face, but for whatever reason, this series, I guess you could call it, has generated a lot of interest, mainly because it's never been available in the West, correct? Yeah. It's actually a relatively small series. Like, there's been 
the two games that were just re-released as part of the compilation. Mm-hmm. Then there was like one Satellaview spin-off thing, I guess, and then like a couple other re-releases, and that's it. When were these games originally released in Japan? Like late 1980s. Like I think what the first one was like 87, and the other was 88. And they were for the NES, correct? The disc system, technically. Which oh, is Famicom one of the, disc system. Yeah, one of the many reasons we never got them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and now they've done some work on these games, right? These aren't just straight ports from the 80s, right? Yeah, it's a full remake with new graphics. It's fully voiced now. Yeah. Nintendo actually got mages to do it who have done a bunch of other good visual novels like the Steinsgate not visual novels. Uh-huh. So they put a lot of work into this. Um, is it worth it? Because um, visual novels, particularly in the West, have, n- have really struggled to gain traction. First of all, why do you think that is? I think in the West, people are more gameplay focused, while yeah. in, uh, in the East and Japan, they're, they're a lot more for story. Yeah. Like, I was doing a bit of research into this series, and, like, this is, these games were based on, were kind of inspired by a specific Japanese novel for, like, for Japanese PCs in the early 80s that kind of defined the whole genre. Huh. Well, can you remember what those were called, what the games were? I can look it up. It's okay. I was just curious. So these were inspired by kind of the progenitor of the i guess there is it's really a subgenre of the adventure genre when it comes down to it it's it's an adventure game without the puzzles and the traversal just mostly just all dialogue and plot right yeah and generally to me the better visual novels are the ones that kind of function as a choose your own adventure style experience where you make decisions and that alters the story on down the road are these games like that or are they just linear plots it's mostly linear, but it's not like you're just re- reading a story, but you have, you have to make some decisions. But you're saying the decisions don't have much of an impact on the overall outcome of the story? I think it's a detective story. So you have to basically find all the clues and everything in order to get to the points. I think there's a bit more interaction relative for this genre interaction to get later, but I think I'm still relatively early into the game. Okay, how much have you spent with the game so far? Like a couple hours or so. I'm okay. in the middle of chapter four right now, and I don't think that's halfway. Okay. Um, well, let us know, what is the plot behind this game? As you said, it's a detective adventure, so there's some kind of crime that you're trying to solve. Okay, so the one I'm playing specifically is The Missing Air. It's the first of the two that was released. Okay. So... The game starts with you waking up because you've currently fallen off this cliff and you have amnesia, so you're trying to figure out what's who you are and everything. Okay. There's this wealthy Japanese family who owns a big corporation. The founder of it, like the big matriarchal woman, she has died under mysterious circumstances. The doctor says it's heart failure, but it happened the same night she announced her will. Mm. to her relatives which obviously makes it suspicious yep and then there's like this family apparently is cursed there's a big thing like one of the things is that apparently the the dead people in this family will rise from the grave if you don't and attack anyone they don't like or something 
So they're, then, they're, it's a family of zombies, is what you're saying? <laughs> I don't know. Again, all I know is that shortly after she died and you do your initial investigations, one of the family members ends up murdered. Oh. <laughs> and that's about <laughs> where the actual investigation needs to start. <laughs> How do the inv investigations play out? Um, you just collect clues. Is there some kind of an interface where it collects all the clues and then you kind of snap them together to not figure really out? it's okay. mostly linear there's two ways you gather information you talk to people and you have to examine certain scenes okay so you, the biggest problem is that the gameplay of it is just trying every option and trying to figure out how and specifically to do it in a specific order the game wants you to Mm. So you, do you have to discover clues in a preset order, or can you find those in whatever order you want? Pretty much preset. Okay. The nice thing is that it, you, you generally only have one or two locations at a time, or people at a time you're trying to talk to, but it's you have to do everything exactly the way the game wants you. Sometimes okay. it's more obvious. Like, if they'll mention a person, you ask about that person. Other times you're trying to pixel hunt, like... I know early in the game there, there's an important burn mark on the floor that you can only see after a certain time, mm -hmm. but and you're like stuck on that screen until you find it. And the part a little later, I'm currently stuck on another pixel, and I'm not sure. I think is a pixel hunt on a, on that cliff where you fell. The other times it's less clear. Like so, basically, little... you're just searching static screens for an object that stands out. Yeah. Okay. That, or you're trying to talk to people. But the other time is you'll talk to them about a topic. They'll say something. Sometimes we'll talk about the same topic again, and it's not clear. You'll just find that out when you're trying every single option again and again. Mm, lots of trial and error is what you're saying. Yeah. So is that the extent of the gameplay in the game? It's basically all driven by plot for the most part? So far, yeah. Huh. How are these games packaged? Are they being sold as separate games or are they rolled into one package that you pay one amount for? How does that work? You can buy them separately. They're 35 bucks each or you Ooh. can buy them both together for 60. Whoa, 35 bucks a piece. Based upon what you've played so far, do you think that's a fair price? I mean, I don't know how, it seems comparable to other visual novels price-wise, maybe even a little cheaper. Like. Wow. I think I see a bunch of these for like 40. Wow. That seems insane to me. <laughs> I mean, I understand that they did a lot of work on this and their games from the 80s. I, I don't know that there was a lot of fan outcry for these games to come to the West at any point. At least I don't remember anyone ever talking about them as like these long lost projects that only ever came out in Japan and, you know, American otaku or hoping that they make it to to Western shores. Um, so I do yeah, appreciate the work that they did, but I'm just wondering if it was ultimately worth it. Yeah, I remember a year ago, like I think it was the last direct, before, like the one they did that had like the summer stuff, the last kind of big direct they did right when COVID hit. Uh -huh. The Japanese version of the direct had this game in it. Like it was, I was like, neat, this is good. And then the most recent direct was like, oh, hey, it's coming west. And I was surprised. Yeah. I'm glad it's here just because it's, glad to keep something like this together but mm -hmm. how is the translation did they do a good job translating is there any awkward language any english so to speak the translation seems fine okay 
Is it funny? Think, like a lot of treehouse stuff? I, I think it's more like just a straight translation. Cause I think I'm assuming mages did a lot of that stuff. Yeah, probably so. Cause they're yeah, used to it, translating their games already. Yeah. The one thing is like, it seems very, very slavish to the, to the original games down okay. to like one of the most weirdest things is that there's a dialogue option called quit investigation. And that brings up the save screen probably because that's how you do it in the, uh, in the original game you just go there you'd hit save and then you could just turn it off but it took me a second to realize that's how you save <laughs> probably just because that's how it was in the original games yeah sometimes when keeping it real goes wrong is that what you're saying <laughs> yeah i do think the one thing that's nice they added is a notepad that keeps track of everything because uh-huh. that's in a separate screen when you just hit the pot the, the plus button along uh-huh. with the load and the everything and the actual quit so I think that was added, but which is nice. Though I don't know how much you need it based on compared to how much you just try everything and eventually you'll get it. How does it work? And I don't know if you've even tried, but how does it work in handheld mode? Because if you're looking for, as you said, that one pixel or your pixel hunting, seems like that would be more challenging if you're playing it on the smaller screen. Yeah, I've mostly been playing it in handheld mode. And yeah, it doesn't seem that bad. Okay. One annoying thing is that there's no touch support. Even oh, though it seems like it that is odd for something like this. Yeah, this game is made for touchscreen support. Yeah, maybe we just make it too easy. I'm wondering if they like tried it, and they're like, "Oh, if people can just slide their finger around the screen and just methodically go side to side all the way down the screen, they can find like the thing way too easily." How does that work? I mean, when you're when you're scrolling your cursor around the screen, it'll have a pop-up happen when some when you're when you can actually interact with it uh-huh so a lot of the times like it's a sky and they'll have a random comment but like that burn mark i mentioned er- earlier that 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 pops up with a question mark so that works well enough uh-huh yeah now this game as you said is pretty much entirely driven by story are you hooked enough on the story that you want to continue playing definitely that is yeah. one thing that surprised me i mean what it, it was a little slow at first, but once the murder happened and they're starting to actually stuff happens in the plot, it took me definitely. Is the tone serious or is it more like Clue where there's kind of tongue in cheek um, content involved? I mean, it's very serious. Okay. Obviously, it's not completely serious because you have z- zombies, theoretically. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's still zombies. kind of sci-fi. I mean... It's more like this Japanese legend. Everything is so Japanese. (laughs) And none of that's been. It hasn't been been tiled back when they translated it for the U.S. They just left it in its its full Japanese glory is what you're saying. Yeah. Huh. And what's the other game called? Because there was two that were released at once. Uh, The Girl Who Stands Behind, I think. Something like that. That sounds right. Yeah, and it's a prequel to this one that explains how I guess you joined the detective agency. Oh, and you probably find out how you ended up falling off the cliff, I'm guessing as well. I mean, I'm assuming I'm going to find out how I fell off the cliff sometime in this one because it's related to the case. It's kind of one of the mysteries of the game, right? Yeah. Huh. Had you played it? Go ahead. The general consensus, I think, from other reviews is that that game is a little better than this one. Yeah, what was your experience with the genre before this? Had you played many of them? Not really. Yeah, I've tried a bunch of times. And I mean, the other part of it, too, is that most of these are from Japan. And 
a lot of them I've played that have come to the West, the translations weren't great. And so you find yourself fighting through the translation in a lot of cases, um, and then having to stay patient, hoping that the plot becomes something interesting. And for me, most times I never got to that point and I just would end up quitting before the game and the plot really became truly interesting. Uh, but it sounds like this one is pretty good right out of the gate. Yeah, very polished everything. And finally, would you recommend that people pick these up? Keeping in mind sort of what's available for Switch right now, other games that are maybe coming out, and the cost. I mean, if you like adventure games, it's it seems like it's one of the best visual novels in, in that genre. Okay. At least polish-wise. I don't know if the story holds up compared to what other people are doing. Are there any cinematics, by the way, like full motion cinematics that help tell like important parts of the plot, or are they all stills with text? It's the stills have a lot of motion to them, a lot okay. more than I would have expected from a visual novel. Okay. And then there's like a cutscene after the prologue before you get into the game proper. And is that like animated, like anime style? It looked fine. It, I think it. Yeah. Is it like full motion though, or is it like? moving the one, stills like you understand the what one cutscene was full motion though the okay. other ones are closer to moving stills okay. there's a lot of moving in those stills okay but not like 30 frames per second animation just like a couple right. frames here and there gotcha we see that in, in a lot of japanese games not just visual novels to be honest with you and a lot of indie rpgs and things like that where they don't mm -hmm. have the budget or the time to do full cinematics so certainly nothing out of the ordinary but do you think that this transcends that genre. Like if someone is like me, who's tried a bunch of them before, never made it past the first couple hours, do you think this might be one that could kind of break through? I think it might be, if only just because it's Nintendo and ah. they're the, they could get this to a wider audience. But I'm surprised that you feel like uh, $35 is cool for a visual novel. I always assume that, yeah. it seems like I always see them on Steam for like five bucks or something like that. So when I saw, when you said 35, I was like, oh, wow. Like that seemed like a lot, but uh, again, I'm not well versed in the subgenre, so maybe I should just. Uh, I mean, the good ones are generally more expensive, I think. Yeah, it's good to see the developers of games like this have a new market to make more money off of their games, so they can keep making them for the people that love them as well. So, I think it's just good all around. So you say buy it; it's a good purchase for thirty-five bucks, or you can buy the pair for fifty. Switch exclusive, sixty. Okay, Switch exclusive. Um, so if you don't have a Switch, you can't play it, and you say handheld mode works well. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Vincent, for uh, playing these games for us, and thanks for coming on Game Face. All right. A big thanks to Vincent for jumping on the game and playing it for Game Face. I saw some people in chat, they're like, Vincent took one for the team. Vincent jumped on the grenade. Vincent actually really enjoyed this game. In fact, he told me that he's continuing to play it even after he had to for the show. <laughs> um, Matt, Vincent says that the game, the per game, is so two of them came out, two separate episodes. Mm -hmm. um, they're $35 a piece or $60 for the pair. Does that strike you as high? Yeah, but it also strikes me as par for the course of Nintendo. They overcharge for everything. Um I am actually interested in those games because I remember those from, you know, back when like Phoenix Wright was coming out originally and stuff. People were like, oh, there've been these games called Famicom Detective that never, uh, you know, that never came here and stuff like that. So I am actually interested in those. Like, I don't know if I 
will jump on them immediately. Um, but like eventually I assume maybe I'll get a little bit of a discount around holidays or something. And I feel like I might jump on them. Cause I do like that kind of like visual novel mystery games. Yeah. As I said in the segment, I don't play hardly any of them. So it's impossible for me to even say whether $35 is worth it to be perfectly honest with you. I've tried to play a bunch of them and I get like a couple hours in and I just lose my interest. That is real high for that kind of game. Yeah. Um, Granted, they are you know revamped and redone, and they're you know they're they're you know pretty much ground up remakes. Um, but 30, 30 bucks a piece is a lot. Yeah, like, a lot for that. Man. Yeah, like it's uh, you know the best the best visual not one of the you know the best ones even like highest quality production on like Steam or whatever probably twenty maximum. Yeah, I, I mean I've seen the pricing and. Usually they seem to be like ten dollars or whatever. A lot so. of them are. I mean, the, the I guess the Steinsgate stuff is pretty pricey. Yeah. Um, are these on par with Steinsgate? That's a that's a question. I mean, I don't know. I haven't played these, but I find it's, that it's really hard to believe. It. Yeah. Um, you know, they're like thirteen Sentinels. Like, is it you know, or Aegis? Was it Aegis? Aegis Rim. Yeah. Aegis Rim. Like, that's probably the the new gold standard in terms of sort of the the visual novel anime thing. Yep. Um, Steep. Yep. But uh, hopefully the segment gave you enough information so you can make an informed decision all on your own, depending on what kind of games you like. Uh, also, if you want to find Vincent on Twitter, you can find him at Vincent Sifted. Give him a follow. Good dude. He does good work. All right, let's move on. Going to talk next about something that had been boiling for a long time in the games industry. In fact, Matt, in fact, Matt and I talked about it, I don't know, probably the end of last year, if I remember correctly, um, WB Games was rumored to be up for sale uh, by its parent company, AT&T. Rumors were swirling for weeks and weeks, and nothing ever happened. And then finally, AT&T came out and said, no, we're not selling them. Well, <laughs> this week, a blockbuster deal happened, not with just WB Games, just with like AT&T in general. I'm going to go through the deal very quickly here. Um, in a $43 billion, with Bs, as Pactor would say, billion, with Discovery, which blows my mind, basically for $43 billion, Discovery got essentially all of AT&T's content divisions. AT&T has decided that it wants to bail on creating content altogether. It just wants to go back to being a technology company, which I'll be perfectly honest with you, it makes sense. I don't think AT&T probably should have ever been a content company no, but, AT&T, people, people rail against Disney as like some kind of monopoly thing, which is nonsense because you can't actually have a monopoly on ideas. Yeah. Like you can't have a monopoly on successful IP. That's not a thing. If Disney yeah. had control of all the cameras in Hollywood, that would be a monopoly or all the theaters or something. People throw around but the Warner, word monopoly a lot. And, right, but Warner Brothers yeah. was owned by a telecom company. Warner yeah. Brothers was owned by a company that lets you watch things. Yeah. So yeah, like that is a conflict of interest. Yeah. That is a problem. And look, no, not anymore because AT and T basically pushed the Warner Brothers plate away from them towards towards Discovery and was like, "You take it." Like, yeah. They're just done with it. And um, look, AT and T was weird. an anomaly. All, all these telecom no. companies for a spell were snatching up content creators. Yeah, because, Comcast with NBC, you know, like yeah. that that was the same deal. Like <laughs> because Disney's the idea, one of the few content creators that is not owned by a telecom provider. Yeah. Well, the, the idea is that, okay, we own this mobile phone company and we have our own network and we need mm -hmm. content to run on our network so that we can basically upcharge and upsell. And mm -hmm. I think over time, a lot of these telecom companies have realized that 
a lot of content companies don't make money and they haven't been able to leverage the content that they're creating into increased revenue through their other businesses. Right. And a lot of Warner Brothers has, you know, been floundering. Yep. Particularly the film division been floundering with trying to find, you know, real hits. Now, you know, once uh, once Christopher Nolan stopped making Batman movies and the Harry Potter movies ended, like they've had really nothing to lean on. They've been trying to find a new hit. And that's been about a, a very long and difficult search for them. So this is a big deal for Discovery. Matt, I'm surprised that Discovery had the cash on hand to Yeah, I didn't realize they kind had of that purchase. kind of that kind of money in hand, but apparently they do. I okay. Like Yeah. I admit I wasn't all that familiar with Discovery in that in the financial sense. Uh, I, I wasn't really at cons- all. I certainly didn't consider them a power player or anything, no. but uh, I guess that was wrong. Um here we are. I mean, I started thinking about it though, and I will say this, like my guilty pleasure TV shows are these gold shows. I don't know if I've mentioned it on Game Face before, but gold shows. Yeah, shows about oh, like, like gold mining. Gold. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, so like Bering Sea Gold. I love that show. Like, I, and hmm. every gold show that they have on Discovery, I watch it. Not only do I watch it, like I watch it when it airs. Like I don't even like DVR it. I don't know it's why. Appointment television. What? Appointment television. Yeah, and the other one is Gold Rush. I love both of those shows. It's really about the people who are on the shows. They're very interesting, and they're hardworking, whatever. So I thought about Appealing it. I was like, okay. to a rural Pennsylvania boy. <laughs> exactly. And so I was like, well, I do watch their shows. I guess other people are, too. It still is shocking that they could afford $43 billion because Matt rolled into that is HBO Max. Yeah, this is everything. Everything. This is Warner Brothers is owned by Discovery. I mean, I, you know, Discovery is calling the shots on Warner Brothers now. Yes, that's an eye-opening deal, to say the least. But wrapped up in all this, as you guys probably well know, is WB Games. And so you would mm-hmm. assume for $43 billion that they would get WB Games as well. That has turned out to not be the case, though. In fact, as we sit here right now, Nobody really knows what's happening no. with WB Games. Like Warner Brothers Entertainment Interactive, it sounds like it's basically being ripped up in two somehow. Yeah. Like it's getting ripped ripped into at least two pieces. All that's been and no said one knows is where that, any of the studios are going to land. Yeah. So all that's been said is that some of the studios are going to stay with AT and T, and some mm-hmm. are going to go to Discovery. But we have no idea which. No, and I have no idea which ones AT and T would want. That's the question. Why would AT and T want to stay in game development? At I don't all? know. Mobile I don't know. Games, I mean, maybe, maybe mobile. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, but I feel like I feel like there's if there's one if there's one dev that I think is completely safe, it's NetherRealm. Um, you mean to I go would, to Discovery to go to or to stay Brothers, at AT&T? Go with, to Discovery with them. Yeah, I want NetherRealm. I feel is is pretty much sitting pretty on this one because Mortal Kombat is such an engine for them in other media. Um, yeah, it makes sense because and Gotham Knights. Gotham Knights, anything uh, Mortal Kombat, Injustice, they just, the NetherRealm has too much synergy with the other properties that they're acquiring. Like, it makes too much, it, you'd, be, you'd be crazy not to take NetherRealm and Rocksteady. Yes, absolutely. Um, because they're making games that are related to the IP that mm-hmm. are being made into films by your film division. Yeah. Um, and look, for a media company like Discovery, it makes a lot more sense than AT&T. Let's just be honest. Yeah, like, oh yeah. I would rather have Discovery, a content company, calling the shots on this IP than I would AT&T. Or on almost anything. I think this is I think this is going to lead to uh some substantial improvements in Warner's output. You think Discovery will crack the whip? No, I think Discovery will will find some people that know how to make 
creative content. Oh, like I think this, I think it's, they're not going to be answering to, you know, telecom corporate overlords who just want to look for the bottom line anymore. They're going to be looking for, they're going to be working with people that know how you make things. But the biggest um, problem with so WB games help. has been a lack of output and part of the lack of output uh, all around on Warner brothers has been basically paralysis. Yeah. Like they don't have a plan. Like that's the bit of the problem for a long time. They don't have a plan. And when they do do anything, they sort of like hand it over to someone that they think will figure it out. And sometimes it works, Christopher Nolan. Sometimes it doesn't, Jack Snyder. Um, and that's that's kind of how it goes. I'm talking and, more in the game space, though. WB Games puts out maybe one game a year. And- game space is, is hard to, to parse. Like, the I, I mean, we will never probably know why it's been seven years since the last Arkham game. Like, I think we'll know eventually. Maybe, but it may why? be five years why? from now. But I think we'll know eventually. Like maybe Rockstar. I know the you know the, the word is that Rocksteady had another project in the works and it got killed, and then they moved on to Suicide Squad that they took over from Montreal. But like, it's very. It's like why was there no further uh, Middle Earth game? Right. Like Shadow War did the other really IP. well. They own Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of IP roles. Travelers in. are TT games now, I guess. Like, what happens to the Lego games? So, yeah, there are 11. I'll go through the studios right now that are under the WB Games banner. There are 11 of them, believe it or not. Avalanche Software, Monolith Productions, Rocksteady, NetherRealm, TT Games, WB Games Montreal, WB Games Boston, WB Games San Diego, WB Games New York, WB Games San Francisco. And I don't even know what those – I mean, I guess those are – are they mobile my guess is a lot games? of them are mobile, yes. Which is probably what I'm guessing AT&T wants to keep. Um, that would seem likely. So Game of Thrones also rolled into this, right, obviously, right. for obvious reasons. Um, my concern, Matt, is that, in my opinion, I would believe that... In the a- Harry Potter game. In Harry Potter, yeah. I would believe that AT&T would crack the whip on WB Games to get games out more than Discovery. But they didn't. But they didn't. So my my question is, like... Does the schedule get even worse? I don't know. Well, my, I mean, it might, there might be some restructuring that would delay some things, but like if I'm, if I'm discovery and I don't know anything about discovery's, you know, personality as a corporation, um, I guess we'll start to learn now. Discovery's also um, located in the, on the East coast in like Maryland or whatever. But I would definitely like one of my first things with this section of the company I just acquired would be to sit down and be like, what is going on in the sense that nothing seems to be going on. I need a briefing on this. Yeah. (laughs) Why, why was the last Batman game in 2015 after they sold like crazy? Yeah. Like that makes no sense whatsoever. Why was there no Lego Batman, the movie game, right? Like what, why, where's the synergy here? Why is the suicide squad game? maybe coming out within a year of the James Gunn movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. what is happening? It's not good. It's, I mean, it's not a good thing there. Do you feel like AT&T offloaded this and was like, thank God, like wiped their brow and was like, I can't believe we managed to squeeze WB Games into the deal? I don't think that mattered. Yeah. I, I doubt they thought about it, really. 11 um, studios, though, I'm sure, That's so uh, many. As a matter of fact, the, the, the fact that they had it, were thinking about selling it and then didn't indicates to me that Discovery wanted it. Hmm. Why would Discovery buy these? Well, it's just part of the deal. I mean, yeah. once you're, if you're already spending $40 billion, you might as well get some of the, the, the guys who make Mortal Kombat, right? Yeah, I'm guessing Discovery um, right now is scrambling, trying to put together like a team to wrangle all this game stuff. Because I don't no think clue. they're scrambling for anything. This deal was pro- obviously in play for a year or more. 
they know what they, they know. They knew this was coming. I, I don't know if they have a plan for that, but like, there's gotta be something in place. Um, it shouldn't be that hard to sort of like say, Hey, what's happening here? What are you making? Um, I don't know what that gap was in there in that kind of late 2010s. Uh, I don't know whose call that was or whose fault that was like, um, something was going on. Um, we'll just have to see where the, where the, the holdup was. I guess the big question I'm at, I'm wondering is, is this good or bad, a good or bad thing for WB games and players? I mean, I think it depends who, you know, for who lands where. Uh, I can't see getting out from under AT and T, especially if Discovery cleans house on the WB executive wing a little bit. Um, can only be good. Can only be good. Like Warner Brothers is one of the most mismanaged content creation houses in the entire in any industry. Yeah. Um, they have struggled to put out worthwhile content repeatedly on every level, with the possible exception of the CW shows. In a multitude um, of mediums. They, they, yeah, like they struck out constant. in games, like, they struck out in film, they struck out in TV as well. They struggle trouble in comics. Like they've, you know, all they've, they've how many times have they rebooted the DC comics universe in the last 10 years? Yep. Like continually scrambling to figure out some way to make that work. It's just it's crazy. You know, the only place they seem to really have any consistency is uh the CW shows. Yeah. which have done a better job of building a, a coherent DC, shared DC universe than the films have. And uh, um, quite frankly, the DC animated stuff, which is hit or miss a lot of the time, but there's at least a direction to it. Yeah. Um, it's it's weird. Like it's just, you've got some of the most valuable IP in the world and no one can do anything consistent with it. It's bizarre. This could be a big play, much like Microsoft, for Discovery Plus, which is yeah. its over-the-top app, uh, which is where everything's going at this point. Eventually, we're all going to be paying TV networks a separate fee every month. To <laughs> yeah, we're going to end up spending more than we spent on cable. Uh, absolutely. that is, It is trending in that direction. But Already there for some people. Yeah, but imagine if, you know, Dis- or Disney, if Discovery Plus has three DC-based TV shows and a Harry Potter-based mm-hmm. TV show and a Mortal Kombat-based TV show. I mean, that's the path uh, HBO Max was on. Yep. Um, you know, so presumably that will just continue. I don't know. It depends what they plan to do, if they want HBO Max to be its own thing still, or if they want to fold it into Discovery. I mean, if I were them, I would probably fold Discovery Plus into HBO Max and call it HBO Max going forward. I would agree with that. I mean... Or like I don't know why. That, at the most, like HBO Discovery or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, I would even maybe just ditch the whole Discovery name, to be yeah, honest. I, would, I don't think the Discovery name helps you in that it context. It doesn't hold really. a lot of weight. I mean, it's not like people are going to get a lot of, are going to pay for the service to watch those two right. gold shows that I like. Like, that's just right. not I mean, I, mean I, I watch a lot of Discovery content. I'm not I'm not slagging Discovery. Like, I, I, I like their stuff a lot. Um, I just... I, yeah, I just I think uh, HBO Max has more you know mainstream clout than Discovery does, and you might as well you might as well fold it all into one platform and have it under one roof. Like there's no reason to run two separate streaming services. Now, if they roll all their content into HBO Max and they don't increase the price that much, because you know they're gonna they're going to increase the price, um, but if they increase it by like a dollar a month then I think they'd have a pretty good plan there, and they would expose a lot of people to all their content on Discovery as well. Um, there is a master plan is what I'm getting at for all this. You don't spend $43 billion on a whim and not know what you're going to do with what you're buying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do seriously wonder if WB Games is not long for this world, Matt. Or in, There's 11 studios there. Let's say four of them are mobile, 
and AT&T keeps those. That oh, it, leaves... it has been requested of me that I bring up 90 Day Fiance, which is apparently the crown jewel <laughs> of Discovery Plus. This is the secret weapon, apparently. I'm guessing a female may have texted you that. No. <laughs> no, a male did. Interesting. I've never watched that show, so I'm not going to slag it. It could be really good, and I've just never watched it, so I'm not going to make fun of it. There might be gold mining on it. You don't know. I mean, look, people probably, probably think is. I'm, people. <laughs> there's definitely gold digging going on. From a certain that. point of view. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's a good one. So maybe that is the theme over at Discovery right now, is gold in any way, shape, or form that they can find it for television. But um... <laughs> Gold, Jerry, Gold. <laughs> Oh, man, that's funny. So, yeah, I I worry that WB Games, some of those studios, won't last long. Like, I don't see NetherRealm going away. Like, worst case scenario, Discovery sells it to someone else. They yeah. sell it to Microsoft. I think you definitely hang on to, I mean, I think NetherRealm, Rocksteady, and TT Games, assuming they come over as well. Yeah. No problem. The others, I would be, a, I mean, and WB Montreal, I think, is established enough and versatile enough. They can do whatever. Uh, some of the others I'd be a little concerned about. Um, I, after some of the stuff that came out uh, about the Harry Potter team, mm-hmm. uh, that company, I would be looking at that with a pretty fine tooth critical eye, yeah. uh, if I were discovery. Um, and I don't really remember what monolith is doing. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't um, be surprised, honestly, if the Harry Potter game ends up getting canned, like, or at least tra- transferred to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I t- That's the other question becomes like, what does discovery want to do about JK Rowling? Yeah. Yeah, like you've got an ongoing PR crisis there with this brand of Harry Potter, which is lucrative as hell, but what do you do about it? So Discovery may have it. And the answer for AT&T was mostly nothing. Um, There might be anything they can do. Who knows? But, you know, if I'm Discovery, I'm definitely going to maybe at least have a phone call about it. Uh, We'll see. Yeah. um... I I hope in some form that game continues because I would really like to play that Harry Potter game. Oh, me too. A million percent I want to play it. It looks great from what we've been shown, yeah. which isn't much, but <laughs> what we have seen of it so far is pretty impressive. I don't impressive. know why it took 21 years to make it, but I don't here get we it are. either. Um, I just feel like anytime you have a parent company that is not organically um, built into the games industry, that the chances of any of those companies under that umbrella going away are not zero. So no, that's, that's very true. Event, they yeah. may placate it for a while maybe there may maybe in the deal there's something that says these companies need to exist for the next two or three years or whatever or this yeah, project might, i mean there might be like obligations to finish what they're working the on like you might have to finish out that harry potter game or what is monolith making aren't they doing I something remember. i don't remember at all maybe someone i can't remember what it was it up real quickly but after if there are any of those deals working in the background right now, like that's when it starts to get dicey, mm-hmm. especially if these games come out and they don't do very, very well. So things are a little shaky over there at WB Games. I mean, if you work there right now, you're like, do I work for AT&T or do I work for Discovery? Like, where are we going to go? Where are we going to end mm-hmm. up? Like, Yeah, and I'm not sure there's any more clarity internally right now. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's very weird for something like this to happen. Um I mean, that's why they were trying to spin out WB Games on its own last year, because it doesn't fit, really, with a lot of the other stuff they were trying to sell. So, I don't know. I wish the best, obviously, for everybody who's working. We have friends who work in PR there that we've known for 20 years, and, you know, Mm -hmm. for their sake as well, I hope everything works out okay. And maybe I'll drop an email to one of those people here in the next couple days to try to get some more clarity on it. But as of right now, we don't know a lot other than I would argue that 
probably it's not good news for most of the studios that are at WB Games, especially. I would you- certainly think if you're at one of the studios is called WB Games City Name. I would be a little worried. Yeah, you might want to start putting the resume together or really start cranking on whatever game you're working on now yeah, to make sure or you be ready to now. just make mobile crap for AT&T. <laughs> In which case, get that resume Same ready. Deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for me anyway, I, I, I would. I would, man. I would not want to work on mobile games where you're trying to trick people into paying. I mean, that's really what mm-hmm. your job is. You're like, how can we trick people into giving us money for this game? Oh yeah, there's. I mean, there are. They have full meetings and classes at some of those places in like psychological, basically psychological manipulation. Yeah. Like they know what they're doing. Absolutely. So anyway, that's the latest. Um, if we hear more about where the studios are headed, which parent company they're going to go to, uh, we'll talk about it again on Game Face. But as of right now, that's all the information we've got. Forty-three billion dollars, man. That's one of the biggest purchases I've heard of in a long time, Matt. It's a lot. That is a big lot. money. That's big, big money. But if you think about what you're getting... 11 times almost what they paid for Star Wars. Yeah. Disney paid for Star Wars. Yeah, think about that. And it, I mean, it's honestly probably... And probably not to... worth as much yeah. as Star Wars in a lot of ways. Yeah. The other thing I, I would hope, and I don't, this may be a pipe dream, uh, I have been not thrilled with how Warner Brothers has managed his classic film catalog for yeah. a long, long time. Like, if there's one thing I think you could leverage to make HBO Max attractive in terms of just bulk of content, it's like, hey, here's, like, all the Warner Brothers classics that you can think of, you know, in these categories on HBO Max. And maybe Discovery will recognize the value of that. There hasn't been a lot of that going on. That's the other part of this, too, is that all WB films going forward could come to HBO Max day and date with theaters. That is probably not going to happen. It could, it could happen, though. I mean, anything could happen. I mean, the Snyder Cut already, they didn't even own it. And already the Snyder Cut was on HBO Max day and date. Yeah, because theaters weren't open, really. Yeah. Um, But once now the theaters are back open, the money is in the box office stream. Like, you're already seeing that, like, um, well, you know, know, Dune, the head of communications, they denied that Dune would not be day and date. But Dune is a long way away. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting as, as the the world comes back and these you know movies do real well. You know, Mortal Kombat for what it was did real well. Yeah, at the box good. office. And I then you saw it. that new Saw movie, whatever that was. What's no, the I name didn't of see that? that? It's that new it's a Saw spinoff. It's like no, it begins with an S, but it just it just came out. It was a it was it's a Saw adjacent. It's in like the a universe, torture you know, porn horror movie. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, one of our one of our friends, you know, Ted. Uh, he saw that in an IMAX, and he was the only one in the theater. Uh, it bombed hard. And, like, you're starting to finally see. It's like, okay, it wasn't also on streaming. Like, there's no reason people didn't go see it. But, like, it bombed. Yeah. And so, like, you are now – not only are theaters coming back, but you are hitting the point where people are deciding, I do and do not want to see this in a theater. Yeah. So you can have legitimate hits and legitimate underperformers now, and so you're starting to see that kick form again. Uh, one of the big tests is going to be Fast and the Furious 9. We'll see if that does the numbers that they're hoping for. Uh, Black Widow in July. And if you've got like if you got big, crazy uh, Marvel-style numbers that get back up there in September for Shang-Chi, um, you're going to see a lot of movies drop out of the streaming thing. A lot of people you, have been reconsidering their viewing habits, though, because yeah. you know a year away from theaters has given them a new perspective. For example, Marcus Beer, who as long as I have known him, literally went to see at least three movies a week. I remember mm-hmm. when we worked with him on at Game Trailers on Invisible Walls, we would record on like a Friday, 
And I'd be like, what are you doing this weekend? He'd be like, I'm going to see this movie and this movie. And he would list movies that I knew were going to be terrible. Just like the worst mm. like rom-coms. or He would just go to go. Because it's just like, he's like, that's what I do, mate. And I was like, but dude, you're wasting like so much money. He's like, that's what I do. And I was like, okay, that makes no sense. But you're Marcus. In, in this anecdote, but you're Marcus, Marcus Beer. Beer. Marcus Beer is Australian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not so good separating the Australian and the, the Welsh is hard. The Welsh it's accents. A... Yeah, I'm not so good with that. Um, so anyway, he continued doing this. Like when we started up Game Face, he was still doing it. And I keep in touch with him. And if you fo- if you're friends with him on Facebook or you follow him on Twitter, he continued to do this for years, just going to see every movie in the theater. And then he'd come in on Monday and be like, that movie was terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I freaking told you it was going to be terrible. Everybody knew it was going to be terrible. Well, I texted with him last week, and he texted me and was like, I don't go to theaters anymore. And I was like, really? He's like, no. He's like, we have a nice TV and a surround sound system. And he's like, there's no need to go. He's like, my wife wants to go more than I do now. And I was like, I've been telling you this for like literally 15 years. Why are you going to theaters? But he, the most dug-in moviegoer, has changed, and now he's like, he still will go more than I do. I only go for like mm-hmm. Star Wars or like cute or like Avengers, stuff like that. He'll go to more than that, but he's not going like three times a week anymore. He's just not. Well, so, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pickier about what I see than he is, apparently. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I choose my battles, but I will never stop seeing things in theaters. Theaters are a lot where of movies like that. Theaters are where movies are meant to be seen. And yeah, I have, you know, I have a good setup. You know, I've got surround yeah. and the nice TV and all that stuff. And it's, you know, not that I've, you know, I've had a bad time watching Godzilla versus Kong or any of that, you know, they all looked fine. Um, but would I have rather have seen Godzilla versus Kong in a theater? 100%. Yeah. Like I would much rather see things in theaters, especially the big spectacle stuff. Or a lot of times, even the smaller, like the foreign dramas or like thing. I like to see the- stuff in theaters that I also feel like I need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, I mean, I live in a house full of stuff that I have intentionally bought to entertain myself. Yeah. And, you know, I can easily get distracted by other things. If I'm sitting in a theater with all in the dark and I got to turn on my phone, I can't look at anything else. I'm like, I'm going to pay attention to that. It's how I prefer to watch a lot of classic stuff. I will probably never watch 2001 A Space Odyssey like, <laughs> in my house because I will just wander off and do something else. Yeah, like, that's how I am. Um, but if I'm in a theater, I will watch every single second of that movie. So like yeah. that helps me too, you know, just in terms of being able to focus. I think a lot of people um, agree with you. And I'm as not I've, as I've anybody, said before, but... going to the theater to see a movie is the closest I get to go into church. Nah. Um, and I'm glad to see it back. I don't begrudge anyone like Marcus. To, I mean, if you've discovered that about yourself, great. Like I understand. I've had bad experiences in theaters. The worst thing about going to see a theater and the best thing about going to see a movie in a theater are the other people. Other people, yeah. You know? <laughs> it like can be the best thing or the worst sh- thing. <laughs> yeah, for every video of everyone screaming their head off when <clears throat> when Cat picks up Mjolnir in Endgame, I can also tell you about the time there's a guy a row in front of me during Doctor Strange opening night who was so drunk and babbling the whole time that when he went to the bathroom and came back, his girlfriend made him sit at the other end of the row <laughs> so he wouldn't bother her anymore. And I'm just like, I agree, honey. Well done. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I get it, but you're never going to stop me. Yeah. Like, and, and, uh, you no know, one will think, try to, Kyle. Yeah. No, well, maybe until the protests start. <laughs> At this right. point, I don't, you know, until, you know, because you still got to wear masks in the theater. And at, some, at any moment, I expect people to start picketing them because you can't watch oh, right. Fast Nine without, <laughs> without a, a mask, mask on or some <laughs> shit. It's just like Vin Diesel would wear the mask, sir. Anti maskers turn me up, dude. Really, really do. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about some inside baseball stuff. 
that happened this week with IGN. Um, this is related to the conflict between Israel and Palestine that is going on right now. I'm just going to say right off the top, we're not going to talk about who's right and who's wrong in that conflict. This is not a political podcast. We're not going to pick one side or the other, although some may argue that's the problem with what's going on with IGN right now. We're going to talk about how it relates to IGN and the games industry and entertainment media in general. So quick, quick crib notes version of what happened on Friday evening, IGN.com published a story and also changed the icon of IGN to a Palestinian flag and then published an article that was basically a list of links where you could send donations to help the citizens and children of Palestine who have been injured or displaced during the conflict. Um, the next day, IGN Israel, which, by the way, is not really IGN. So this is something I learned through all this story. The international IGN networks are fascinating. Well, they're not like, real. So that's yeah. really that's what I learned this weekend that was something that I did not know because IGN at this point is probably the only gaming website I've never worked at, <laughs> to be honest with you. But IGN's affiliates in other countries are not officially a part of IGN. They're like um, they're like a franchise, kind of like how McDonald's. Yeah, they pay for the name. Basically. They pay. They license the name. Yes. So it's like McDonald's, for example. Like mm -hmm. McDonald's just raised its minimum wage to something higher. But the catch there is that McDonald's only owns, I think it's literally, Matt, 5% of its restaurants. Yeah, it's a very small chunk the other of the 95% of, of McDonald's are owned by people who paid McDonald's an insane amount of money to open a mm -hmm. McDonald's. And McDonald's does send them, like, their food every day and all that kind of crap. But technically, they're separate. Yeah, you basically get, like, a restaurant kit. Yes. Kind yep. of thing. Like, that's basically what that is. Exactly. And so on Saturday... IGN Israel, Israel, which is only IGN in name, it's not owned by the same parent company or anything like that, basically posted a rebuttal and said that, you know, it's IGN shouldn't have posted this, we support the people of Israel, blah, blah, blah. And almost immediately, the post on IGN proper was removed. Nobody knew who removed it, there was no statement on why it was removed, and we're talking about the people who work at IGN, the editors. Yeah, like the core team. Yeah, yeah, like the editors who actually create the content and who posted the story for, with who, Aid for Palestine. Who make the name worth franchising. Right, exactly, in the first place. Had no idea why it was taken down, who took it down, what the reasoning was for it at all. Um, and so the staff was up in arms. They're like, wait a minute, somebody from like corporate or an executive came into our CMS our content management system, and took it down and didn't issue a statement. Well, then shortly after that, IGN Corporate did, in fact, issue a statement. I'm going to read that very quickly. And this is a direct quote. This is exactly what was tweeted. Um, this is the first, the first sentence, very strong. This was a clear instance of corporate overreach and demonstrated blatant disregard for the most basic, sta basic standards of journalistic integrity and editorial independence. Across IGN, our hearts are heavy as we follow the events in Israel, Palestine, and across the region. Our first thought is always for the broader IGN community, our employees, readers, and partners, and our hopes for their safety and well-being. 
We have a track record of supporting humanitarian efforts and charities around the globe. In this instance of our recent post regarding how to help civilians in the Israel-Palestinian conflict, our philanthropic instincts to help those in need was not in line with our intent, this is a really long sentence, of trying to show support for all the people impacted by tragic events. It's basically saying both sides. By highlighting only one population, the Post mistakenly left the impression that we were politically aligned with one side. That was not our intention, and we sincerely regret the error. And then finally, we do not intend to continue to use our platforms and resources to aid those civilian lives impacted across the entire area. As part of this effort, we have made a donation of $25,000 to Save the Children an organization that works to support children everywhere and provides emergency aid in natural disaster, war, and other conflicts, end quote. Matt, what do you take away from that? Um, that the corporate line is a bunch of bull. That is cowardice. What do you think is really happening here? Uh, I think uh, that you have very, very, like, just rabidly strong pro-Israel support among many key demographics in America. And I think many, many corporations are terrified of alienating them. Yeah. Um, you know, the evangelical support for Israel is huge. And I think it's beyond li- huge. It's literally like 100%. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. Like, and uh, Vice has some good, uh, vice.com has some good, uh, like, videos on the subject about why evangelical support for Israel is so huge. Um, I mean, the, the Crib's Nose version the, is that Israel needs to do certain things for the prophecy in the Bible to come true. And basically for, for Armageddon to happen. to happen. Yes. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yes. Like, Which, Israel... Let's, we won't get into that. But yeah, that well, is, we're not going to touch that, that with is, a 10-foot pole. That but. is not a basis for real politic policy, right. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, especially when when you're talking about real people dying. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, and in a more macro sense in terms of how IGN is run, the fact that they did, they reached over and did that and did not even talk to the IGN staff yep. is horrendously concerning yeah um Having it is upper management it, go into the cms never a good idea in fact no. in fact upper management should not even have a login to the cms yeah they shouldn't even have access to that and this is and this goes beyond like the sub the, you know the the israel-palestine conflict subject like this would still be uh abhorrent even if it was like about like a game review right that they erased if it was like another kane and lynch situation like where... yeah like this is like and i'm not saying that that's like an equal importance to yeah, you know a global not. conflict thing i'm just saying like the ign team found out a very disturbing thing about the people who run them this week yeah and uh regardless of how you find that out you're gonna get shaken by it and then IGN's editorial staff wrote, over 60 of them, wrote an open letter to management um, and basically you know, said, this is unconscionable, you've crossed the line, you sacrificed our editorial integrity, you shouldn't have been meddling, and if you were going to meddle, you should have had a conversation with us first, no one discussed this with us. Um, also, I should mention, Matt, that tweet that I read in its entirety, the comments were turned off on the tweet. Mm-hmm. So that nobody could reply to it in public and share their opinion on 
what the higher ups at Ziff Davis and J2 mm-hmm. Global, I believe, is the parent company. Yeah, J2 is that's right. J2 Global had done. Um, for instance, when I worked at GameSpot back in the early aughts, there was a distinct. We'll step- also put up uh, a, a thing about the, a, a right. link to charity. We should also and stuff here's another yeah. thing. Like we should also add that Game Informer also posted something like this. Mm-hmm. Its parent company, GameStop, took it down. Mm-hmm. Now GameSpot also published an article, and it is still live. Kotaku also published an article, and it is still live. And that's crazy when you consider what happened in the past at Gawker Media Mm -hmm. because they basically, you know, Deadspin is now dead because of some editorial issues that it had back in the day. Um, So it appears that Kotaku's new owners are maybe a little more understanding than their prior owners over stuff like that. But so back when I worked at GameSpot, there was a clear delineation between church and state there. So this is crazy. You may not believe it, but it's 100% true. The phones in advertising and marketing physically could not call editorials phones. If they tried to Hmm. call our phones, the line just went dead. They were not even able to contact us. Now, I don't know what happened after I left there and with the whole Kane and Lynch thing, because obviously that that all went to hell because – the Kane and Lynch thing is one of the biggest editorial scandals in the history of games journalism. So eventually something went sideways or went wrong there. But I know when I worked there, there was a complete separation of church and state. I never had an executive talk to me at GameSpot, ever. And for that matter, I never really had it happen at game trailers either. I never had a C-level person calling me and being like, hey, bro, I'm way outside your pay grade, and what I'm telling you to do, you're going to freaking do. Like, that never happened. But that happened this weekend at IGN, Matt. Um, mm-hmm. here's, here's the question. Does it matter? It matters to the editors and the people working there. Does it matter to the people who consume IGN's content? I mean, I think it would because like, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of a slippery slope fallacy, I guess, but it's like, if they'll do that for this, why wouldn't they do that for something else? Something smaller, you know, like, especially if they get, a, if they were to get, you know, I'm good on the staff for signing their names to that, that response. It takes some guts. It, yeah, because if you let that slide, you know what's to stop them from doing that? When no, oh, oh, they said uh, they said something we don't like about this game that we have a sponsorship with in some other area. Let's just take that line out and not tell anyone about it. Like it could happen. But and, if you not letting it slide, I mean, again, it took a lot of guts for yeah. those people to sign that because now they're targets. Let's be honest, Matt. Like corporate America is cutthroat. And yeah. there are people at the top of some of these companies. I certainly don't feel like we have any evidence to think that, like, you know, they're, the corporate overlords there would be like, oh, we, we can't fire everyone from IGN. What would we do? You know, I was like, like, there's a real risk at play there. Oh, legitimately a risk. There's no doubt about it. Like, jobs are fragile. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people who don't work in this industry, particularly not just games like development, there's a different reverence for them. But people who work in games journalism, I can tell you from personal experience that the C-level execs, the CEOs, the COOs, the CFOs, they think we're all expendable, dude. They think anybody can come in and do the job. They think anyone who's a malcontent at their jobs should just get another job. Well, it's even like more prevalent at something like IGN because like it's a very real thing to say that like 
if you fired everyone at IGN, you would have a bunch of 20 year olds who don't know any better willing to take those jobs immediately for less pay because yeah. they would get to work in games. But it would. But here's the thing. But would it be the same thing? No, would it be the, the same content would not thing? be as good. Would it be something that other countries would want to license out and be called that? You know, no. you talk, you, but like, do we expect the corporate side of things to recognize that? Of course not. They don't I mean, do that. I've had personal experience with this. So at game trailers, I was the boss. I managed, I don't know, probably all told directly like 30 people. But technically, almost everyone on our floor worked, quote, unquote, under me. But... As far as, like, going to bat to get raises for my employees, I had, like, 30 people that were directly I was responsible for. And I would go to bat, like, my best people every year, right around the end of the year. They start doing our employee evaluations. I would make the meeting with my boss, my direct boss, to talk about people who I felt deserved a bump in pay from what they had done throughout the year. And a lot of times what would happen is he'd be like – I trust you a thousand percent, Shane. You know these people. You work with them every day. If you're telling me these people deserve a bump, they deserve a bump. I'm going to set up a meeting with you and the guy above him. And I, every time, every year, every meeting, it was me scrapping, trying to explain to this person, and I'm not going to call him out in public, but explain to this person why these people are valuable and why they can't be replaced and why they're already working for way too little pay as it is. Not only do they deserve a bump to get what they deserve, they're amazing, and they deserve to get more than that. I had to do it every year. And almost every year, they were either shut down or they would get, like, a fraction of the pay bump that I was aiming for. And that would feel like a moral victory. I'd walk out of there and be like, yeah, like, three of them got a bump. Like, that's... That's where you're at when you start dealing with people who are making a lot of money, making decisions about big money, and don't understand the industry at all. And that. Well, also, that's just sort of universal. We're seeing that universally now, or like, you know, the whole no one wants to work bullshit. Right. Where it's like, no, no one wants to work for you. Yeah. No one wants like, to be that's a slave. A very different thing. Yeah. Uh, it, that is another good thing that's come out of this pandemic is people have realized they're worth a hell of a lot more than seven dollars yeah. an hour. That's insane. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe. Our minimum wage is $7 an hour. It's crazy. It's less if you work in certain states that oh, allow yeah. you to, own, to, own, to make up the difference with tips. Like, yeah, if you're a you waiter, know, it's I, like two fifty an hour. Yeah. It's and if you don't make tips, you can actually make nothing. Yeah. But what I'm getting at here is that when you have these big executives, these C-level executives who haven't worked in the field that they're overseeing, maybe ever, or in some cases it's been 15 or 20 years since they actually were on the floor working – it's very hard to convince them that they do not know better. And Mm -hmm. so I don't even know if IGN editorial had a chance to speak to these people, if it would have made a lick of difference. Like, I just really don't think it would have. I think then they may have even forced the editorial team to put its names on that tweet. It may have actually worked out for the better. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like the outcome would have been any better, but procedure should have been if we are going to subvert what you wanted to do with your own editorial control, we have to sit down or at least make a phone call and tell you what horrible thing we're about to do first. It's dangerous and, because you know. if you're a, a reader or a viewer of IGN's content, that opens up the door to like a lot of questions. You're like, well, yeah, okay. Who's talking at it's any like, given time? What'd you say? Like who's talking at any given time? Right. Like, or... You know, people have accused IGN of being paid off for, like, 20-some years. Like, now you're like, well, if they can just go in and do that and the editorial team doesn't know anything about it, like, it it makes your editorial integrity – it puts it at risk. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what you have. If you're an outlet that makes your money based on evaluating products and telling people whether they should spend that money that they work their ass off for for $7 an hour, whether they should spend it on a game or not, there's a, a there's an agreement of trust there that takes years to build. Years before people are finally like, I believe you. I think you're on the up and up. I think you're straight with me. You know, we may have different opinions on what's good or bad, but at least I believe that when you tell me you like something or you don't, that's what you really believe. And again, it takes a decade sometimes to build that trust. And one little thing like this can just shatter it. Like the executive. Yeah, it is a bigger thing than like someone gave, you know, like God hand a three. Yeah. Like I, this, this is the different problem. Yes. It, Very it, much more serious problem. It's so short sighted is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. What these executives did was it was just dumb. And I don't care how many of their advertisers came to them and said, we're a Jewish owned company and we're not going to, we're going to stop advertising. But look, if people don't watch your content, advertising doesn't matter. You're putting the cart before the horse. It, it's just a terrible decision editorially from management at Ziff or J2, wherever it came from. And look, this could have came straight from J2. They may have completely circumvented Ziff. I don't know. Um, my guess is we'll also find out what really happened with this eventually. But I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you know, next time that the numbers are down for two quarters in a row and they've got a downsize, that the people who get downsized are some of the people who signed their names on that letter. Mm-hmm. I just know it. Having worked in corporate America and been in meetings with these people, they remember that crap. They're like, oh, that's the guy who told me my idea was stupid in a meeting. Like, they remember this stuff. Yeah, they do that for stuff way more petty than Way what more petty. Here. Like, I remember people, like, when I go in for these meetings, they're like, well, I remember when he did blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so what? I worked with him all freaking year. He killed it. Like, he, everybody makes mistakes. We're human beings. But they'll find that one thing. And, mm. you know, we're an at-will state for an employment. They technically don't have to give you a reason to fire you at all in California. No, they don't. So this is just bad. I feel so terrible for IGN's editorial staff. Like, it's they were put in a terrible position. Um, some would argue that they brought it on themselves by publishing the article at first. They didn't. They published what they felt was right editorially. And that, that's never wrong. You may not, you may disagree with it. You may be on the mm-hmm. other side of what they published it. But as an editorial team, it's their responsibility to publish what they believe. And ultimately, the article that they did post was pretty benign. They're like, hey, mm-hmm. there are civilians and children who are dying or being displaced from their homes. Let's give them a little money so they have a roof over their head. That was pretty much the extent of it. They weren't like providing a ton of commentary about who was right or who was wrong in the conflict. So it's just bad. It's not. And, and look, when this happens at IGN, then all the other outlets are like, well, crap, if IGN can do it. Like, they set the precedents for game journalism, for entertainment journalism in a lot of cases. Although I'd argue TV and film, there are other outlets that are kind of on equal footing with yeah. IGN. In games, there is no peer. None. So whatever happens there sets an example for the rest of the industry that could trickle down into editorial departments all over the industry. It is just terrible in every way, shape, and form. Management should never mess with editorial, ever. Especially if you're not going to talk with them about it first. It's just, Mm -hmm. 
It's so bad, Matt. It's a it's a it's a big. I mean, it's one thing if like you know we certainly not on you know political or a, or a world uh, you know kind of world justice thing, scenario where we had something to say about that really. But um, we certainly had things where we didn't want to do or we thought was a bad move. But we had, you know, corporate came down, sat with us. We had that meeting. We had that argument. And then we were told to shut up and do as we were told. But they didn't even get that. Yeah. And it's it's, it's the it's the we don't even need to talk to you. It's the circumvention of of editorial. It cannot happen. And like, even if you are going to circumvent editorial, normally we've had the least the respect of being told to our faces that our editorial is about to be subverted. Yeah, at least you're not just caught off guard. I mean, these people publish this article and then it's just gone. Yeah, if you're (laughs) you're you're like, what the hell? (laughs) If you're gonna do that, say it to my face, right? Basically, exactly. And then look, then you have the messaging too, because then you can say, "We had a meeting with corporate. This is what corporate told us. There's your reason." Instead. You have people running in a wild goose chase on social media. You have all mm-hmm. the people on Twitter trying to become Inspector Gadget and try to figure out what's going <laughs> on. Like when it could have all been avoided if you just acted like an adult about mm-hmm. it. It's it's so bad. And I sincerely hope that this does not encourage other parent companies to do things like this because it could also transcend gaming, Matt, to other editorial departments anywhere. Like this article isn't something that's just like on games Twitter. Like all major Axios wrote an article about yeah, it. Yeah, well, they, they, Forbes by, wrote an by article doing about this, it. They ended up in the Washington Post. The Washington so, Post wrote about good, it. Good job. I mean, Streisand effect in full effect. Yeah. There. Uh, like they, this would have been a very minor thing, of just sort of a thing that people saw and donated to, and were like, good on them for you know taking a stand on what they believe as a team, as an editorial team, or chose to not donate to it. it. That's their right too. You yeah, know? and like, that would have been it. Yeah, but like. Because they did this shady thing, it's national news now. Yep. And so, this, this stuff will trickle I, I'm through. I'm imagining they didn't want it to be. Everywhere. Every editor out there right now is like, whoa, that can happen? Yeah. And somewhere, and I wonder if the corporate people who did this are sitting back and like, why does everyone care? So like, do they understand what they did? I don't think they do because you know? they obviously don't get editorial right. at all. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it is tangentially related to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, the, 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 you know, people, once you get above a certain level, it's like they forget how anything works. Yeah. And look, you I know? find it hard to believe that anyone at Ziff would do this because Ziff comes from print. That's where Ziff started. And it has run yeah, they were magazines so many editorial websites throughout the years and so many gaming related editorial websites throughout the years. I find it very hard to believe that this would have come from Zip. It is a little easier to believe the corporation with this just named a letter and a number <laughs> would probably, uh, yeah. Would I don't be know the bad we, guy. Obviously, we don't know. Yeah. But it's easy, it's easy to make that assumption. Yeah, we do not know. Sure. We don't know anything because the way this is all handled, no one knows anything. So, um, again, props to the IGN editorial department for putting out the statement, signing their names to it, mm-hmm. putting their rubber stamp on it. I hope it doesn't come back to bite any of them in the ass. Mm-hmm. It could. Um, and just... Boo to whoever did this, whether it was J2 or Zip, boo. You suck. You made a huge mistake. And there's no fixing it now, Matt. Mm -hmm. Cat's out Mm -hmm. of the bag. Now people know that there's someone, someone. Someone can do that. Nobody knows who, but there's someone who can go into IGN CMS and mess with shit. Mm -hmm. It's bad. And then you start to wonder, like, has that ever happened before? before it, I know. Has it happened in more subtle ways and we just never saw it? Or the, the editorial team never noticed? Like, right. 
you put up that much content every day could you all notice? the time yeah i mean back in the day with g4 and stuff like you could you could have done stuff like that and i would have never noticed yep absolutely yeah so i don't go back and re reread everything i wrote like three times in the sub subsequent weeks you know like, yeah, and no, definitely nobody goes and like compares what they wrote to what ultimately got edited very few right. people do that people who are learning how to write do it to try to figure out okay mm -hmm. these edits let me look at them and see yeah. why they were made but if you're a seasoned that, writer, oh, yeah. you just at a assume point, you're, you're just, you're, your editor is doing right by you. Like, yeah, and a few days later, you're like, you forgot you even wrote that thing. Right, because you know, you've it's, moved on to three other things by then. Yeah. So it's just bad. It's so bad. And it's really bad that it happened at the industry leader. That's the really mm -hmm. bad part. Because if, if now everyone else is like, well, if they can do it. Yeah, or it's it's added fuel to the people like, see, they've always done that. Right. Yeah. Like people, the, you know, the, the people that believe that they've always been paid off or whatever, saying yeah. like, "Here's the proof," that's, which it isn't. But and those same people are saying, if it happened at IGN, it could happen everywhere else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> these these people had no idea what they were doing when they did this. They really had no clue. Um, I hope it doesn't. Yeah, hurt it's, yeah it's, it's either like just gross incompetence or gross ignorance. Yeah, and I don't know way, which is worse. It's bad. Really. <laughs> that's the way yeah. you can put it. So anyway, that's that's pretty much the whole story we have now. Do you think we'll ever get a statement from IG? Is even though it won't be technically from IGN, it'll be from the higher ups. You mean like corporate? I don't yeah. know. I really don't. They may um, just be like, you know what? At this point, let's just let the dog lie. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, obviously, also like I feel like this is not by most people's estimation, this is not going to be the most important part of this story. Yeah, you know, like because it's it's tied into such a hot button international issue. Right. Um, well, we're a games and, website, so we're yeah, going to talk like about this the game. Yeah, but this but, is a, a real thing that I think you you do you are going to have to deal with in terms of fallout going forward for IGN as a as an outlet. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, like it's it's maybe not the most like important and life or death element of this, but it is you know job or unemployment. I mean, uh, the crazy part about level. it, Matt, is certain companies a lot of viewers, readers could leave because they supported one side. Yeah. Some advertisers could also leave because they supported one side. Who do you, and if that happens and they lose a ton of revenue, who do you think's going to get laid off? The people who signed that letter. Mm -hmm. So again, mad props to IGN editorial for, Oh, it'll be fair. It if line. you lay off everyone who signed that letter, you don't really have, have an editorial no, team no anymore. Company. So yeah, Exactly. It's crazy. I've never. I've been working in this industry for twenty some years. I've never seen anything like it. No. Kane and Lynch. That's it. As far and as that was that was one guy, really. Yeah. Like. Yep. One jerk, basically. And it could. This could be one jerk. We don't know. Be. Yeah. We have no clue. It could just be one person who has a lot of power who got really pissed off about it and and started talking to some partners and they're like, "Well, we don't like it either." And that's all I needed to hear. I'm going in, and in he went or she went and made a huge mistake so mm -hmm. again before we move on just mad props to IGN's editorial team um, I hope all the hypotheses that I presented about what could happen never happen um, and somebody who is your boss stepped in on your behalf and told them never again this cannot happen and they'll listen because uh, it's a very slippery slope that uh, the editorial is on right now at IGN um, but I will say this everybody I know that works there is awesome and I <laughs> You should trust their editorial. So I know I'm just one guy in a sea of millions of people talking about this situation, but do not discount IGN's editorial because of what someone else did. Um, it's not their fault. So, all right. 
Let's move on to the last topic of today's game face. We're going to talk about the other game that I've been hinting at about playing all week, and that is Hood, Outlaws, and Legends. It is... So before I played the game, Matt, I thought it was an asymmetrical multiplayer game. And if, like, you read... That's like, what I thought it was. You read, like, the blurbs on it, and maybe it's just... Is that not what it is? No. Like, I don't believe that it is, because... Hmm. You never switch sides. To me, asymmetrical is like uh-huh. either it's three against one and one player is playing on the other side or in the midst of playing the game, somebody switches sides based upon some condition that happens hmm. in the game. That to is- me, asymmetrical just means each side is doing a different thing. Okay, well, that is true because in this game, one side attacks and one side defends. But there are Man, tons That's not of- really what I mean. But it's, it's, I mean like the gameplay objectives are completely different. Like, they like, are um, in this. Um, oh, Evolve is an asymmetrical multiplayer game to me because like one person's the monster and the right. other three are you know like that. Yeah. That's asymmetrical. Right. To that's me. Like, like three against one. Like that's what right. I said. When you have offset teams, but it's not just it's not just that it's different numbers of people on each side. It's that the one side, the monster side. Even if you had four monsters and four players, four players of the hunters are playing a shooter, and the four people who are monsters are playing monsters with completely different gameplay from the other side. That's what I think of for the asymmetrical. gameplay difference, I think, is the differentiator. Yeah. Because they're still just trying, the monsters are still trying to kill the humans, and the humans right, are still Right, but you're playing essentially a different game. That's what asymmetrical means, yeah. usually. Well, okay. Then maybe this is on the fuzzy edge of asymmetrical, because it's a four versus four multiplayer-only game, by the way. There's a little training thing that um, you can go through. Actually, for, like, my, my initial, like, actually, I guess, like, kind of the er-asymmetrical multiplayer game to me would be these spies versus guards in Splinter Cell. Yeah. So, okay. Then this maybe falls into that category. It's a four versus four multiplayer competitive game. One team plays the attackers. The other team plays the defenders. Mm-hmm. And... How it works is, if you're the attacking team, you have three objectives. The first objective is to find a key. The key is being held on this character called the Sheriff, who you can kill, but he's a huge bullet sponge, or a sponge in general, because this game isn't doesn't even really have bullets. It's all arrows and melee mm-hmm. weapons. He's a pincushion. He is. He is a da- <laughs> That's a good one. He's a pincushion. Um, he's a damage sponge. It, you have to like have all four players attacking him at once to really take him down. But if he gets a hold of you, you die in one hit. So he's an instant kill. So the first objective is to find the sheriff and then take the key from him. You can kill him and get it, but it's hard. But what you really want to do is you stealth and sneak up on him and just pickpocket him and take it out of his pocket. Once you have the key, then your objective is to get to the vault. And you have to find the vault first. Um... There are certain things that you can do that will reveal its location if you're playing with people who really know what they're doing. Uh, But if you aren't, then you just have to basically go through trial and error to try to find the vault. Once you find the vault, you use the key that you got from the sheriff to unlock it, and then inside, there's a chest. You have to pick up the chest, and you have to haul it outside of the base out to a location where you extract it. Um, And extracting the chest is a two-player process where... You have this wheel that you both have to crank together at the same time, and it hoists the chest up and out of the gameplay area off onto this, like, boat. And once you do that, you win the match, and then the defenders would lose. Obviously, the objective from the defenders is to keep you from doing that. So 
there are tools in place as the defenders to help you know um, where people are so that you can track them. You know once they're in the vault, and it gives you a waypoint on the map. You know when they're trying to extract. It gives you a waypoint on the map. And you also have the advantage of having tons of rank-and-file enemies in addition to the sheriff just roaming around um, attacking the other team. And also, if they land an attack on the attacking team, you're alerted to the location of the player on the attacking team. Generally, Matt, the way I would describe this <clears throat> is one of the best multiplayer modes in, ever in Assassin's Creed, and that's the entire game. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people, when you watch this B-roll, you're, you're probably going to say to yourself, this could be an Assassin's Creed game. The art is very similar the architecture is very similar. The time period is very similar to a lot of Assassin's Creed games. The it's got hoods. The, yep, the costuming <laughs> is very similar to a lot of Assassin's Creed games. The difference, though, is that this is a standalone game that they're trying to sell you. And they're not trying to sell it to you for cheap either, Matt. This game costs $30. Now, I was stunned by the, the price on this. This game costs $30. And not only that, Matt, there are more if you want, like, the specially... Yep, yeah, more if you thing. want the special stuff. And they're launching a battle pass for this game eventually. So the first hurdle you have to get over is, here's a game that has one multiplayer mode. That's it. There's one mode in this game. It's called Heist. And that's the mode that I've been describing to you. There's nothing else. Now, will there be stu new modes coming later? I'm pretty sure there probably will be. I would hope that there would be, because right now there's just one for $30. Um, so that's kind of the gameplay loop that you play under. Uh, but there are sort of little intricacies to the game that kind of give it different angles that make it interesting and more interesting to keep playing than I would argue most Assassin's Creed multiplayer modes because I've played pretty much all of them. And generally those modes, when you first start playing them, they're interesting and you're like, oh, this is unlike anything I've played before. And then you play like 10 rounds of it and you realize, but that's all there is to it. There isn't enough depth. This game, they have kind of added some stuff to give it a little bit more legs. Um, for instance, one of the big things you need to do in the game is claim spawn points because you can respawn over and over again. There's no permanent death in this game, which can be very frustrating when you're trying to extract the chest because you can keep killing the defending team and they just keep respawning and coming back. And what can make it worse is throughout the course of the game, you can claim spawn points. So you claim a spawn point. When you die, you can respawn at that spawn point. And to be fair, the other team can reclaim them so you can't spawn there. So there's a little bit of a tug of war that goes on there. It's very important to actually extracting the chest that you own the spawn point closest to the extraction point. Because if you don't, the enemies are going to keep spawning there, and they're instantly going to be on you while you're trying to crank the crank and extract the chest. If you own it, you can respawn right there, and you can run for like 10 seconds, and you're at the extraction point trying to extract it or trying to defend the people who, who, are, uh, who are extracting it if you're not. Um, another cool thing is the chest actually is invisible to the other team unless it's dropped. So there are four only four characters in this game, Matt. <laughs> and it's like typical who you'd expect. There's Robin, there's Marianne, there's Took, and then there's John. John is like the tank. So he's like the big dude. He has a big sledgehammer. And he can obviously carry the chest a lot more quickly than anyone else in the game. So you always want him to grab the chest and start running off with it. The problem is he, one of his special abilities is being able to lift huge gates. And the way they design the levels generally is once you get the chest and you try to escape to the extraction point, every exit point in between there and the extraction point 
has one of those heavy gates. So you have to drop the chest as John, lift up the gate, and then pick up the chest and carry it on through, which then alerts the other team to where the chest is. So again, it, it has like all these little caveats to it that kind of balance it or offset the the play between the two teams. Um, each character has a unique ability that's on a cooldown. Um, some of them are offense, some of them are defense, some are healing. There's an exploding arrow, there's invisibility, there's a hyper attack for John where there's, and Matt, there's a stamina meter in this game. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know how much I love the stamina meter. Well, John, if you use his special, like his stamina meter won't deplete and you can just attack like crazy. And then there's one character who has a healing ultimate. Um, the game makes you, when you first start playing it, it makes you feel like stealth matters because there's bushes everywhere and you can hunker down. And like, even like the training is all about stealth, like sneaking around and um, sneaking up on the sheriff to steal the key. Or like Robin Hood can shoot ropes that will have the ropes fall down so that you can climb up the side of buildings instead of having to stay on the ground where people can see you. But ultimately, the stealth mechanics in this are garbage. Like the enemies, the rank and file enemies can always see you. I was always able to see somebody hunkered down in like a bush or whatever. Like they never were able to hide from me. And then the real kicker is that the extraction point has no cover. It's always Mm. right out in the wide open. So there's no place to hide. While you're cranking that crank trying to extract the chest, the other team's Robin Hood is just sitting up in a tree or up in like on, in the castle roost or whatever, and it's just peppering you with arrows. And Robin, one arrow from Robin kills you, dead. So then you die, you respawn, you hope you own the spawn point closest to the extraction point, as I was talking about a little bit earlier. Um, at the end of each match, if you win, you're rewarded with gold. And this is probably the heaviest Robin Hood element in the game of, of any of them. And that is, once you win, you're presented with a scale, and they show you how much gold you've won by win- you've earned by winning. And then you tip the scale for poor, the poor people or for yourself. So you need to make a decision on whether you want to give the money to the community or whether you want to keep it to yourself. Now, I'll fully admit... I have no idea what happens to the money you give to the poor. <laughs> like, I don't know where that goes. I don't know if, like, if you stay partied up, if it goes into, like, a team kitty. I have no idea. When I first started playing it, I gave the poor the most money. After a couple of matches, I was like, no, no, no. I'm giving myself most of the money because I don't know where this cash is going. I could never figure out what the idea was other than this is a Robin Hood game, so you need to give money to the poor somehow. Um... So as I said, there's four classes. There are only six maps, and they are huge, and they are all different. I will say that. Um, they're not like six different castles with like different terrain outside them. Like There are drastic differences between all the maps, but there still are only six for a game that is multiplayer only that only has one mode. Um, as you play, you also earn experience and you level up, but really all that gets you is new costumes, you can get, like, new weapons, but they're really more cosmetic than, like, doing more damage. And then there are perks. And perks, you can have up to three equipped at a time. And perks, they do give you buffs, but they take away something else. So, like, one one perk improves the, the power of your exploding arrow. But then the blast radius of the exploding arrow is shrunk. So... They give you one thing, and they take something else away. And I guess one thing I would just say in general about this game is 
it is very well balanced. Even the characters are balanced. When I first started playing, like some of the, so I played John a lot. I played Robin a lot. And then another character has almost literally like Assassin's Creed, like a wrist cannon that shoots like bolts. And the other guy has like a morning star. And it, it was harder for me to learn how to play those characters at first because they're very squishy and they aren't like Robin Hood where just one arrow can take down enemies. But once I started to figure out how their ultimates worked and how their perks worked with them, I, I managed to be just as successful as them with everyone else. So I would also argue that the wins and losses were very even. Like it wasn't like the attackers were always winning or the defenders were always winning. If, if anything, I would say it's tilted a little bit more towards the defenders because what I found was in most games, it was very easy to get the key. It was very easy to get the chest out of the vault. And it wasn't that hard to get the chest to the extraction point. Once you get to the extraction point, that's where the whole game kind of falls apart. Because as I said, there's rarely any cover around the extraction point, And you're just out in the open. And if your whole team gathers at the extraction point, it's very easy for the other team to take over that spawn point that's right next to the extraction point. So they're just constantly just flooding in. And it just becomes like, literally, there were times where we were like one millisecond away from either winning or losing as far as like getting that meter up high enough to extract that chest. So it is very intense, but I feel like at the end of it, of every match, everything just kind of falls apart and it all just becomes like a, a question of chance. Because the other thing you can do is as the defending team, you can lead the sheriff to the extraction point. And once the sheriff gets to the extraction point, it's all over. Because it's a one-hit kill. If he grabs a hold of you and slams you down, you die. So if you're trying to deal with him while you're trying to deal with all four players on the other team, you have no chance. So once you get to the extraction point, it does feel pretty hopeless at times unless you're playing um, with really against really bad players who haven't figured the game out yet. Um, but I did have fun with it, Matt. I did not have 30 hours of fun. I ran out mm. of gas with this game after... I don't know. I probably played like 20 matches or something like that, 20, 25 matches. And then there's just nothing else. It's like I don't really care that John has another costume. I don't care that like I can spend my XP on a sledgehammer that's blue. Like it just – and the perks, they provide a little bit of incentive, but for the most part, not really. Because like I said, if you're, if you're getting an increase in one thing, you're losing something else. So they're really well balanced, but – they're, they don't incentivize you all that much to pursue them and unlock them. So, I don't know. I, honestly, I give this game a hard pass at 30 bucks for the content that's in the game right now. In fact, I think it's absurd what they're asking for this game for the content that's in there right now. However, it does remind me a lot of the game Hunt Showdown, which I recommended at launch. But it was like in Steam Early Access for like $15. And I knew that they were going to add on to it. And now if you look at where Hunt Showdown is right now, if somebody bought it for that 10 or 15 bucks back when I recommended it, they're very happy with that. Like, it ended up being well worth that money. It's a great game, by the way. You should check it out. I have a feeling this game could end up being the same way. It launches in this very basic state. Uh, there is a little bit, there is a hook there to it. Like, there are some people in this game that love it. Like, you can tell by their levels and how many perks they have unlocked. There are some people getting really hooked on this. I just was not one of them. And I just think right now, spending $30 on it, hoping that it comes around to something that's worth that much money is a fool's errand. And the other thing I would argue is that there's hardly anyone playing the game, Matt. So mm. it has cross-play, multiplayer. So it works with the other platforms. You still have to sit there, in some cases, for like five or six minutes to get eight people in a match. Wow. So 
if you're thinking to yourself, well, I like the concept. Shane said it was pretty cool and fun to play, and it was different. Maybe it gets whipped into shape eventually. The, the lack of players in the game right now is telling you that that probably won't happen. They're not going to keep supporting this game if there's no one playing it, and the game is literally mm-hmm. like five days old, and it's already how, uh How long do you think before it goes free to play? Eight months. <laughs> that's what I was getting at, but you're a smart guy and you could figure it out. Like <clears throat> That's where this is all headed, is this game is going to go free-to-play. It should have been free-to-play in the first place. Um, sell cosmetics for the characters. Sell perks if you want to, because, again, they're balanced. It's not like you would be buying something that would give you an unfair advantage, because if you get something, it's taking something else away from you. And maybe that's the plan all along. Maybe that's why... There's already a battle pass coming, Matt. Maybe they're like, let's see what we can get for 30 bucks. Wait long enough so that the people that spent the 30 bucks won't be pissed off. Or when we go free to play, just give them a metric ton of cosmetics and perks and call it a day. And that's where I think this game is headed. So if you ask me if you should spend real money on this game, even if at this point it were like 10 or 15 bucks, it would be hard for me to recommend because I just don't have any faith that it's not going to go free-to-play in the very near future. Now, I do feel like a bunch more maps, a bunch more characters with varied abilities, this game would have would have something, no doubt about it. Um, but in its current state, at 30 bucks for a game, in my opinion, that's not even finished, um, it's just a very hard sell. So I would argue, no matter how much you love Robin Hood, and I don't know how many people are around in this day and age that will say that, that they're Robin Hood fanboys or whatever, it is an old IP that my guess is they probably got to use for free. It's not even IP anymore. It's, right. There is no IP there. Yeah, no pro- Robin Hood is nobody's property. Yeah. I mean, you can it's, probably just uh, use it for free at this point. So Of course you can. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, as long as you're not trying to use the Disney version of the animals or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the constant cycle. Someone's going to try to reboot Robin Hood. Someone's going to try to reboot King Arthur because they're free because they're yeah. pro- public domain. Yep. So anyway, they're going to fail, and they're going to lose a lot of money, and then it's left to the next sucker to do things like, you know what would be a big hit? Robin Hood. No, it won't. Yeah, we have proof of that now <laughs> in 2021. Not since, uh, really not since uh, the Kevin Costner picture. Yeah. And when was that? 93, 90, 92, yeah. 91, 91. Yeah. It was 91. Long time ago. So, And really, that was mostly that Brian Adams song. I forgot about that. That's funny because he was in the music video for that song. I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) Which was so bad. Uh, But anyway, that's Hood, Outlaws, and Legends. It's available for everything, but again, do not spend 30 bucks. Not that you'd notice. Like, there's been no promotion for that thing. Yeah. Like, I haven't even seen ads on my Xbox dashboard. Well, I'll put it to you this way. When I requested code for the game, a lot of times when you do that, they ask you for, like, your circulation, your URL, like, all this information to make sure that they're not just sending it to some Yahoo. I had no such questions when I asked for (laughs) if you code for this game. (laughs) I sent an email asking for it, and it was in my inbox within, like, eight minutes. So uh, that kind of puts things in perspective for you, too. I will say this. Like, I do kind of wish it was free to play. I think a lot of people will like it and will enjoy playing it. we got to remember, Assassin's Creed removed multiplayer modes a long time ago. So we're really not getting mm-hmm. like any stealth-based multiplayer modes anymore. So you know, I think there's a place for it, but I think the place for it is in the free-to-play bin with microtransactions. Which is, of course, the key to the player population problem. Absolutely. Yep. So I think a lot of their problems or a lot of the game's problems will eventually be solved. Um, when they figure this stuff out and they make it free to play. But until then, just completely steer clear. All right. 
time for Q&A. Let's see if you guys figured out the tone in my voice that I was wrapping it up, where you just looked at the clock. In fact, you did. There's tons of questions in here. Wow. Holy moly. Okay, we're definitely not going to get to all these, folks. I'm sorry. Um, one Super Master Gamer, thank you for Twitch Prime. That's freaking awesome. Um, as always, we request that if you can, you wait till the end of the show to give us Twitch Prime so we can thank you publicly. That's what we prefer to do. And the other problem is, is that the iPad version of Twitch, for whatever reason, it cuts off the chat at a certain point, and I can't go back up and see you guys at the beginning of the show. So anybody who gave us Twitch Prime at the beginning of the show, thank you. We appreciate it. Don't think that we don't because we weren't able to mention you by name. Uh, let's see what we got here. Um, oh, Furac75, apologies for not subbing for months. Twitch doesn't allow you to use Prime subs. I'm sure it does. It still does. Uh, but thank uh, It you. does, but you can't do it on mobile. Oh, on mobile. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but thank you, Furac75, because right after that, you subscribe with Twitch Prime. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Um, EDH420, you just had a good holiday. Is there a memorable FOMO moment you want to share? Any fear of missing out moment, Matt, where you did something crazy due to fear of missing out? Um, not really. I mean, I guess I've gotten up real early for Disneyland rides sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I get up really early and watch sports here in L.A. because of the time difference. It's like every Sunday I have to get up at like 930 to watch football um, this past weekend, I had to get up at 8.30 to watch a Penguins game, which they ended up losing. Um, so I do crappy stuff like that. But probably the biggest one was I spent a lot of money on Coachella tickets one year. Mm. Um, there was, it was I mean, those... I, I paid $600 for that Unicron. Yeah, the, you're afraid they'd the, sell you know, out. The, the HasLab backing thing. Yeah. Of course, now it's worth 2000 So I, I, I should have gotten two. Um, I could have made all my money back. But uh, so I, do, I mean, I, I guess I do stuff like that with, uh, oh, here's, okay, no, here's one um, uh, for a Transformers thing I did. It's not a game-related thing, but I, game stuff I don't really have a lot of FOMO with because like, it's most of it's so easy to get. Um, but uh, game, uh, I, there was a, there's a company that makes third-party Transformers called Fans Toys. They make fairly limited runs of them. They're very, very good. They're probably the best in the business, and they, run, they sell out, and they go for obscene amounts. So they go for double or triple their retail cost within like months after they're after they're out because they're all sold out and they can't get any more. And they were putting out one of the Stunticons, the the, the the orange drag racers, drag strip. And I missed the pre-order for the first time ever in with for a fan's toys. So I went and I I went to to pre-order from different places to make sure that I got one, even like a secondary seller in China and all this stuff. And it all kind of worked out weird. And I, I'm like, well I'll just make sure see whoever gets me one first with that. And it all happened at the same time. I ended up with five of them. Oh. Um, and I only wanted two. <laughs> and so, and so now, so I ended Did up you with sell five them for a big profit. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for it to, to go up a little bit and I'll sell them off. I'll probably make more than I made from the three I'm going to sell. I'll probably make more than I made, uh, than I paid for all five of them. But like, that was the dumbest thing I probably did in that regard. Uh, in, in recent memory it was like, I can't miss this thing. And like, Oh no, <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't miss it. <laughs> I, uh, I, I paid, spent way more money than I expected to. Yeah. So. I paid 800 bucks for two Coachella tickets one year. Wow. Uh, because the lineup was amazing and my wife and I wanted to go and it was FOMO. 
I mean, it straight up, like I just didn't want to miss out on seeing the bands that were going to be there. I didn't want to miss out on Coachella because it's freaking awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I draw a difference. For me, there's a difference between like FOMO of like, oh, I don't want to see my friends or people I know online talking about doing this thing and I'm not getting to do it. Yeah. And like, I like this thing and I want to do it. So I'm going to make sure I get to do it regardless. Like yeah. FOMO, that's like like a peer pressure thing to me is a, is a more negative thing than like, I want to make sure I get to have this experience. Like, to I don't me, find FOMO is to... doing something stupid because you fear of missing out on something. Right. And in my and case, I, think... I was stupid to spend $800 on yeah, concert tickets. Yeah, but did you go and did you like it? I did, but it was like 108 degrees. So about halfway yeah, well... through day two, my wife and I looked at each other and we were like, man, this was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know if you've ever been to Coachella, but like, it is held. I mean, I've been to where it is. I've never been to Coachella okay. itself. It is held literally on polo fields. So yeah. there are. There's no shade. There's no cover. Mm-hmm. There's no trees. So it's literally one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Matt was we were at Coachella that year, and we were in the area where you pay like forty dollars for a hamburger and like ten dollars for a bottle of water, and we were sitting standing up eating our hamburger because there's no place to go. You can't. There's no chairs or anything there, and there was a tent. That was like supposed to be like the beer garden where you went after like the you bought a beer or whatever. But people were just tortured by the sun and the heat. So people were all just sitting under the tent. And we sat there while we ate and we watched. So as the sun was setting, the shadow under the tent was moving. And mm. you we watched the people sitting scooch their butts as the shadow. That's how hot it was <laughs> to stay in the shadow. Like, so anyway... That was the moment where we looked at each other. We were like, what in the hell are we doing? <laughs> this is crazy. We didn't, Look, we still had a blast, and it was amazing and, and all that. But, yeah, I way overspent for that. So that's probably my most glaring. Yeah, I mean, to be moment. fair, no matter how much you spent, that would have happened. Yeah, that's you, true. You know, that's how that, Even if I had bought them at face value, you're right. We still would have been hot as balls. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I just draw, I draw a line between, like, I did a dumb thing for this thing that really means a lot to me, and I did a dumb thing to do this thing that I just didn't want to not do because everyone else is doing yeah, it. Yeah, there's a difference. I agree. Yeah. Um, okay, Vincent says, giving to the poor unlocks more costumes and weapons you can buy. Okay, thank you. Mm. Um, one Supermaster Gamer, why is it that gamers have so little respect for gaming journalists? I never questioned a review in EGM Magazine, but nowadays gamers seem to think that a lot of gaming media is dishonest. Why is that? Oh, that's, man, we could talk about that for a whole episode. Yeah, that's a whole another hour. <laughs> that literally is um, like an episode of Game There's I mean, a million reasons. I've always gotten a, a very strong impression that part of it is just you got a bunch of nerds who think they can do it better. That's part of it, absolutely. Um, I would also argue that people are getting the jobs a lot more easily now um, than they were back then. There's a lot more people mm-hmm. doing it now, so it's harder to kind of track their trajectory from he was an associate editor from here, he became the reviews editor at that same place, and then this other place headhunted him and brought him over to be their EIC. Like, you don't see that stuff so much anymore. A lot of times... Well, there was also, like, when we were growing up, at least when I was growing up, everyone who was writing these game reviews was older than me. Yeah. Like, they were were all older people, and they all had, like, histories in print, Mm -hmm. and they all, you know, like, Semrad and and, and those guys, and Andy Eddy and those guys were, were, they were print journalists. They were, they were people who had written for magazines for years. They had published magazines for years, and you, like, you know, you knew these guys knew the business, 
of making content as well as making video game content. It was just, there was a professionalism there. And as we grew up, it became easier to have your own website and you had your peers that were doing it. And then now we got people younger than us doing it. And I think there's just that, like you said, it's that free, it used to be a much more exclusive realm. And then once it became kind of a free for all, uh, people started to sort of lump people who worked into the big outlets in with people who just sort of had a camera, I bipod and a, and a, and a website. Like yeah. there was sort of this element of like, especially in the late two thousands, there became, there rose this attitude that like, you know, there's nothing special about what anybody does because anyone can do it, which is, I don't think it's true. Um, cause there's, there's certainly uh, levels of competence and quality in that yeah. regard, but you know, that's, that's, uh, that was the core of a lot of the backlash in the, in the, at least in the new century, I thought. Yep. Somebody brought up Leo Charles says, did you see the video of the journalist trying to beat the tutorial of Cuphead? LOL. I did. I know that guy. We know him. He's a friend of ours. Um, I think that's ridiculous that you think he's not a qualified journalist because he's not good at Cuphead. My perspective. J. Reed Vic 7, thank you for Twitch Prime. J.M. Rain, making it rain as always. Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Hope you're doing good. Um, we'll take one more question. We'll take it from J. Reed Vic since he subscribed with Prime and then asked a question right after. Your question's really long. <laughs> hmm. Does the AT&T merger with Discovery and the limbo Warner Media's gaming properties like Mortal Kombat and Batman will be in until those brands and studios are inevitably broken up? And so that's a really long sentence, Jay Reed Vic. Broken up and sold individually scare you guys about the long-term prospects for these brands and companies. That was all one sentence. Is there precedent for such huge IPs in the hands of and proprietary being dealt to companies who could care less about gaming? Yeah. I think I just talked about this. That was one of the things that we dis I discussed was that, like, you have these companies that don't care that much about gaming. They care mm -hmm. about I mean, hot take, they were already in the hands of a company that didn't care very much about gaming. That's true. They were owned by AT&T. So you're going out of the frying pan and into the fryer, basically. Um WB Games was just in a bad position. They had bad ownership, who didn't really care that much about games. And now they have maybe better ownership that also doesn't care about games. So, as I said in our original discussion about it, like I wouldn't be surprised if when contracts are fulfilled and everything is on the up and up, that you start to see some of these studios get dissolved, take the best people. And also, you don't know how compartmentalized this will get. You know, like, Disney could not give less of a shit about video games. Yeah. But... You know, Lucasfilm is making sure that the Star Wars license is used for video games on a regular, you know, they're getting, I mean, we have the EA problem moving yeah. forward, but like they've, they've, you know, stepped in to really remedy that. Uh, Marvel is slowly putting their, you know, putting their better foot forward on what the, what the Marvel games should be. Um, just because the parent company doesn't want to be involved doesn't mean that the, the compartmentalized groups that handle the, the specific IP can't step in and care about it. And I think yep. you will see that happen with stuff like Mortal Kombat and Batman and all the DC stuff and all. I mean, that'll just continue to go forward. Yep. Um, I'm not worried about that. I, I, I think, I think we are probably correct in saying that the, the companies that will be piecemealed out are the ones that like AT&T wants for mobile development. Yep. Uh, okay. Tiny 2K. Thank you for gifting all the subs to our crew. Again, just another reason to show up and watch the show live. We're here every 1 p.m. Pacific, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash games. Show up and you get some free subs. It's great to hang. Our chat is amazing. It's great to hang out with some older gamers who love games but don't act like idiots. It's amazing how rare that is in 2021. But 
somehow we've managed to create this incredible community that I am extremely proud of. Um, so thanks, you guys. You guys are awesome. Uh, all right, that's going to wrap up Game Phase 256 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube for free and you can afford it, head on over to patreon.com slash sifted and drop us a pledge. If you like the show, why not? It's $4 a month to get all our content early. Uh, in the case of Pactor Factor, it's a week early. Game Phase, four days early. In fact, all our content, at least four days early if you're a patron. Plenty of incentive to do that. If you can't do that, help us out with Twitch Prime. Link your Amazon account with your Twitch account. And then you go to our channel at twitch.tv slash siftedgames and click a button. And you give us a free $2.50. You got to redo it every month, which sucks. I totally get it. But once you've linked your accounts, it literally takes one second to resubscribe. You just go to that URL and click the button and you give us $2.50 for free. You didn't even know you had it. And now we have it. So anyway. <laughs> Sinister. Yeah. Anyway, big thanks to everybody who stuck around. A lot of you guys stuck around the whole three hours here in the chat. The chat looked like it was awesome again. Big thanks to Vincent for doing a segment with us this week. He'll be popping up a lot more as the year goes on and the games start piling on and Matt and I get buried in too many awesome games to play. Thanks to Matt, as always, who is the champion of Mass Effect, giving you guys probably the most qualified impressions of Mass Effect you're going to get anywhere. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Dinfire. If you want to find Matt, you can find him at mkyle. If you want to find Sifted, which you should, particularly if you're not one of our patrons, you'll know when all our stuff goes up for free. That's at Sifted Games. And if you want to hook up with Vincent on Twitter, he is at Vincent Sifted. So on behalf of the whole crew, and it does take a village to make this show happen every week, and I appreciate it very much. You guys have yourselves a great week. We'll see you next Tuesday. Game Face is up and out.